Hello and welcome to episode 265 of The Crate and Crowbar. It is the 5th of December, 2012. 2012? <laughs> <laughs> Time <laughs> of all the years. My name is Chris Thurston and it's... How old are you, Chris Thurston? <laughs> I'm 25, Alex. <laughs> I'm 25, I've just joined the games industry. Everything's great. I've been working at PC Gamer for a little bit and they've just let me go on my first big press trip. <laughs> I'm going to Blizzard to see Mists of Pandaria. <laughs> I'm thinking about getting it in game development. <laughs> my friend Tom goes home after the pub after every, uh, you know, after work every day to work on this game he's making. I hope it goes well for him because he's putting a lot of time that he could be at the pub into it. <laughs> <laughs> I live with Tom Senior. <laughs> he lives with me, everybody. <laughs> uh, we eat pizza. Uh, it's <laughs> Some of these things are not obviously false today. <laughs> That's true. To the listeners. Uh, and um, and I'd like to wave to Alex across the office. Hi. Hi. I was still in the office at it's that not, point. It's not 2012. I haven't done the podcast for two weeks, so I'm obviously forgotten. <laughs> 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 That's the skill you lose. Um... It's 2018. Hmm. It is, it is 2018. Soon to be 19, just to put the warning in now. Right, yeah, yeah, put that fear right up you. Um, and I, as you now know, I am joined by, uh, my name is Chris Thurston and I am joined by Tom Senior. Hello. Alex Wiltshire. Hi. And Tom Francis. Hello. Um, and, uh, well, I guess something that none of us would have been able to imagine in 2012 <laughs> would be a series of articles where, what everyone write in, which is like, is it is Valve is it bad for Valve now? Is Steam bad now? <laughs> <laughs> Imagine, if you will, a competing internet computer games store. Because there've been many little stores. Have. It's not very difficult over to the imagine. Years, <laughs> it's been but none of them are really. We've got the new one has entered. A new challenger has entered the Indeed. stage. Welcome back to the stage of history. Yeah. Um. So. Um. Yeah. So the news, basically, and probably the only news that will will really dig into uh because at the time of recording this um big jeff's ultimate jeffarama hasn't happened yet <laughs> so all of the game reveals for december <laughs> yeah. are in your past the listeners but um and we are happily ignorant we are very ignorant of them recording this as it is on wednesday um so what we will talk about is is the epic games store announcement and its consequences for the video games industry Mm. This I'm really dying to know whether they had this announcement planned for, mm. for the time they announced it or whether they brought it forwards because it was beautifully timed um, mm. in that Valve had just recently announced um, that they are changing their revenue cut uh, to reduce it for games that make over 10 million or is it 5 million in the first tier? Um, so to 25% and then for 10 million down to 20%. Um, so basically giving more of the... Uh, money to the biggest players, like the the ones who are already mega successful, they also get a bigger share of the the revenue and give less to Valve. And Epic came out w- with their thing, and it's just twelve uh, percent across the board to Epic. So they their standard tier for everyone is less than Valve's most generous tier, and also Valve's announcement of that caused a huge backlash against them. Well, huge in in my world because all my friends are developers, <laughs> um, where. Uh, they were pissed off that they felt like this is the rich getting richer and indies who are struggling who need a break like this aren't getting it. Um, and, uh, is Valve really earning their 30%, which is a conversation that hasn't been sort of front and center until recently. And yeah. then Epic announced their store. <laughs> <laughs> like a big boot in the face. Meanwhile, there's been a little kind of, um, I've seen quite a lot of chat about with a lot of indies saying that their store 
page visits have mysteriously gone down over the past month due to some sort of algorithm change, which has been explained today or maybe yeah. yesterday in terms of some sort of experiment with two systems that went like They've, a bug that went wrong. But the story got a bit misreported because, um, uh, some people have seen traffic to their store page go down since October. Uh, a lot of people saw, uh, traffic to their page dip in October. Um, and that was a bug. Like the whole, uh, game similar to this box was just straight up broken, um, for like a few days and they fixed it. But when they fixed it, they also changed it a bit because the thing that broke it was a change they were trying to make where, um, things that sell better, I think, uh, get a slightly preferential treatment. And the bug was that they made it only what's selling well, not at all what's relevant. Um, and so, yeah, there's been a lasting change for some people. That part is not a bug. It was kind of reported as like traffic's been, been destroyed since October because of a bug, but actually it was only destroyed for a few days because of a bug. It's been intentionally destroyed <laughs> for some <laughs> games since then. Um, and yeah, who, who the hell knows how the algorithm actually works or what it really does. Um, but yeah, it certainly hasn't affected everybody. Mm. But it's an interesting kind of landscape for, for, uh, Epic to come out into. Um, yeah. And that's, it was weird because like there's kind of rapturous reception to this without much discussion of exactly how it's going to work. And I read the interview with them and it's going to be handpicked. They're only, it's invite only. They're going to just going to pick games to put on it. So. A lot of the people who are very excited about it are not going to be on it, I don't think. <laughs> Did they give a sense of the sort of thing they're looking for? Are they looking for no, not big sellers? Oh, or um, kind of- they did say they were open to like mods and free things and um, you know beyond just commercial games. Mm, it's interesting. And I think it's a very smart thing because you've you got to wonder with a, with a situation that Epic find themselves in where you know before Fortnite suddenly became the biggest thing in the world, they were shuttering games and it seemed like Things were not dire, but like, you know, um, they were certainly talking more about Paragon than Fortnite a little while ago. <laughs> and then that, that tune changed very dramatically. Yeah. And, and even Fortnite was a, a failure in its initial yeah, form. Yeah, it really was. You know what I mean? Incredibly shaky. To like start. that's, uh, that's a hell of a sort of narrow, narrow played thing. And yeah. so what you play that money forwards into, what you grow the company into with a, with a windfall like that is a good question. And this seems like a smart thing. Yeah. But particularly, so, so there are two things about it. Like, you know, you've got the sort of data side. So they've been serving enormous client downloads, you know, since Fortnite came out, you know, since, since the Battle Royale side came out in their own client. So they've got, that's done. You know, they can serve shitloads of data and there's a client that is already running on a lot of machines. So that's kind of that side. They also hired, and I don't even realize this today, that of course, Sergi, uh, Gol, Gagolkin, who is Steam Spy. He was, um, he's one of the Stalker developers way back. Mm, and, huh. um, he has run a website which you may or may not come across, but, um, it was called Steam Spy and it was pretty much the only way you could, it, you know, it basically, uh, uh, went through, uh, sort of Steam store data to get approximated, but fairly pretty accurate, um, sales data. Um, and put them all up for everyone to see. It was closed down because, um, because, uh, Valve shut off the, the, the data source that it was using. Mm. But, um, he knows a fuckload about how stores work. And, you know, he's very, very kind of, uh, experienced with, with the statistical side mm. and of, of kind of serving store pages and, and what that means. So those two things for me kind of made me think, 
this is properly serious. Like this is a, yeah, I feel like I sort of, I don't have maybe the problem, the same intensity, but cause I, I was talking to a developer friend today who was very much on the camp of like, this is the biggest news in ages. <laughs> and <clears throat> I've seen a lot of that sentiment on Twitter as well. And obviously it makes complete sense when people are being offered a better deal, you know, deal on the use of the unreal engine. If they also get sold in the store, all of these things that make sense. My overriding thought though, is that it's very easy to get caught up in the dev side of it when the entire success of the system depends on it being a store people want to use. Yeah. And to be honest, despite the vast success of Fortnite, I don't necessarily think that install base automatically translates into a useful audience for a store because the only thing you know is that you have the Fortnite audience there. That is an audience used to a free game for one thing that, that are predominantly quite young, that there are a lot of factors that make that, x million people and it's a lot of million people i don't know exactly how many please don't ask me how many <laughs> but that number is not as necessarily like it you know it, it is not exactly equivalent to steam's user base for example does simply off the bat i would say though that um that a big part of the success of these kind of things is is where your friends are at um and for a lot of a lot of players especially new players their friends are on Fortnite, right so they've got the friends list power already active active for a, a huge audience yeah and it's also the hardest thing i think about launching a steam competitor is you kind of need some kind of app that's going to run on the person's computer yeah. in order to be able to auto update stuff because if it doesn't auto update it sucks um and the epic have a better starting position than almost anyone else for that mm. in terms of yeah. shitload of people have the epic launcher you know like yeah yeah we've probably all got you you play on our machine you know on our computers because because you have to have it to run the game that you've got off steam so you've got both of them running you know so like that's how ubisoft did that but they only did it through piggybacking on yeah the, right on an existing store i think yeah go on Tom. i remember team sweeney um doing the interview rounds he's talking about how uh something which i've heard from um a ceo of another startup trying to offer a digital store that which i spoke to i spoke to at gamescom and they both said exactly the same thing which is the overheads for delivering the service that Steam delivers are much, much lower now mm. than they were when Steam started, not purely in terms of technology and in, you know, how people are learning to use it. Um, and from that perspective, 30% is an extraordinary cut to take given the amount of, uh, you know, upfront cash you have to put into the, the system itself. I think I saw a, I think I saw an estimate of something like 49 cents across the lifetime of, of the, the data, the data cost for having something like a, a gigabyte or 500 megabyte game mm. would be around 49 cents or something. Um, assuming that someone's going to download it and delete it a couple of times, you know, over the course of their purchase, you know, mm. you know while they do have the game. And that, that's fundamental truth that, you know, the, the more that becomes public, the more you have to ask Valve, what am I getting from you for? For being on there for this thirty percent mm. cut compared to this other store, yeah. and I, you know, I, I I don't really look at this in terms of how we're going to translate the Fortnite audience into this shop. It's more like why doesn't everyone just go to this shop in the next ten years if sort that of. doesn't change? So yeah, and I agree, and I, but I think really, I think the way I think about it is uh, as painful as it might be for Valve to adjust the nozzle and the money hose, um, it's actually like it's it's a short trip for them to us mm. to a solution that makes this go away because moving to a new mm. system like generating banners in a different like resolution <laughs> is a job literally no one in the world wants to do yeah. <laughs> no one wants to do, no one wants to do that they will do it 
for a reduction from a 30% to a 12%. (laughs) But that that reduction doesn't come out without risks. And that's point one, right? Like, you know, if Steam continues to have very aggressive sales and like one of the things that the the other platforms like Battle.net, Origin, Uplay have never matched Steam for the aggressiveness of its sales. And that Mm. those are very effective at keeping players in the ecosystem because again, players don't give a shit what cut developers are making really. Mm. Um, The other side of it is yeah, that like there's a there's an overhead attached to moving, and if Valve say, okay, we hear you, we're cutting it down to fifteen percent across the board now for everybody, you know, yeah. maybe with further reductions, then it's actually kind of hard for Epic to respond because then they've got to fight with. But it, we're more, but we but that's great for developers. I mean, suddenly you're just making yeah, oh, it's so great. Much yeah. Competition is great really for developers, is. exactly. But right. it's and but you, what can, I mean you can is, see the the appeal of like you know if if at the moment. Steam do- isn't doesn't have to make its platform particularly better. It doesn't mm. need to be looked more beautiful or more usable or sort of sit on your computer nicely. You know, like it doesn't because there's no competition. Like, they, yeah. but it's and great. they have the resources if they're needed to to turn around that reasonably quickly. The thing I get from Steam as a developer that's well worth the thirty percent to me is they have something like 180 million users, and those are uh, un- you know unlike Fortnite's audience, unlike. um Minecraft's audience and like uh, these other big wadges of hundreds of millions of people they are the people specifically who go out and bu- spend money on games every month like there's a just a crazy number of people on Steam who like to buy indie games <laughs> which is pretty much unique like that doesn't really uh, exist elsewhere and uh, as you say Alex like the the thing about it's where your friends are um, Steam have a very big like mm. entrenchment advantage there and a lot of people who who are excited about the Epic thing are not so much excited about being on the Epic store. They're excited about what Val will do in response and just mm. hope that, that yeah. Steam gets better in response. But yeah, also you, the, the decision for most developers is not, do I move to this new thing? Because you don't have to. No one's asking you to be exclusive. So you just, you put your thing on the new thing as well and you see how it does. And uh, um, if it ever becomes a viable alternative to Steam, then maybe you switch. But um, for the most part, people aren't doing aren't asking third-party developers to do exclusives. But what's interesting is that, the you know, everyone does their first-party things exclusive, right? Yeah, like Valve don't sell Half-Life 2 on Origin, for example. Right. And um, so those are like the only exceptions. Those are the only reasons that you might, that the end user actually would need to install the new client for. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see how those shake out. But if you're making such a, if you're a developer and you're making such a big saving compared to Valve, why not drop the price of your game and still make take a bigger cut and also undercut Steam sales? But it's like, there's, this, there's all sorts of interesting, you know, incentives that a proper competitor brings to it. Like you can developers make more money, um, people who get games for cheaper. Uh, Valve might fix the fact that voice chat still fucking sucks on Steam, and you know all the yeah, other yeah. niggling things that have just been with that service forever. It'll be interesting to see what the effect is. Like, it just feels like there's so many things that could go wrong either way that like, because, you know, I, I think you, you were right to point out again, audience that is used to buying indie games, for example, mm-hmm. like just because, you know, when everyone's on, you know, I suppose it could be, it could be something equivalent to like when Xbox Live Arcade launched and that helped propel that indie boom because people were hungry for something to buy mm-hmm. on their Xbox. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same as Switch, right? Same now. as Switch, right? Yeah, like yeah. that, it could have a similar effect to that where Fortnite almost becomes like a platform that people are on who just don't play games through any other channel that's possible but equally it could simply be that you know uh games struggle to get a critical mass because a very popular alternative because it's like yeah your mates are there but your mates are also playing Fortnite. <laughs> so what is the incentive to buy this other thing because that's what you're there to do you know what i mean like obviously steam was launched as basically a patching service for counter-strike 
which was a big game at the time, but it wasn't quite the same thing. It was still sort of a hobbyist kind of, uh, you know, it started as a kind of means for, you know, hobbyist sort of enthusiasts to get all of their things they were going to spend money on through one channel. I feel like the analogies don't quite match up. My guess is that it will drive Steam to be more competitive, but Steam's, Steam's monopoly wouldn't be going anywhere. Hmm. Um, and that'll be ultimately good for developers. Uh, because it's not, obviously not easy for Valve to do, but it's, it is ultimately like they just change something about the proportion and suddenly Epic have far less to offer, I think. Mm. One encouraging thing is that Epic have a, a good track record of, you know, with Unreal Engine providing a service to developers and sticking with it and supporting it for, yeah. cause it must have been like, I feel like early 2000s, like half the games industry was on Unreal Engine and that's like, true to a lesser extent today like still shitloads of games use the unreal engine and i've heard i've seen it um in the last like five years becoming more and more common amongst indies that they're using unreal am i right that, that if you're using the unreal engine you get different terms yeah the um well you get different terms with the unreal engine if you're selling on the epic store so usually unreal is free but you have to give them five percent of your profits and if you sell in the epic store they just waive that so you pay that's 12 percent that is that like is everyone else. pretty mega. Yeah. That so is... the Unreal Engine is free if you're if you're if you're going to sell only on it on the Epic Store, it'd be effectively free. Mm-hmm. If you're selling yeah. on both, obviously you pay the five percent out of your Steam sales, but right. not out of your Epic Store sales. <laughs> I just should point out though that um that that Tom's come out as pretty pro. I know what you're going to say. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought it at the start of the podcast. Yeah. As soon as I took my jumper off, he's wearing actually. a t-shirt. That says Steam Dev Day. <laughs> <laughs> Look, what you guys don't understand about Valve. <laughs> They're trying very hard, and <laughs> they really do offer excellent value. But give me this one free T-shirt, like three years ago, and got endless shilling from me ever well, since. That's yeah, you know, game journalists and the system works, right? <laughs> it's a really the nice bad, T-shirt. It's probably the best like free T-shirt I've ever got. Blizzard fed me a Panera bad sandwich in 2012, and I've literally never <laughs> criticised them. <laughs> oh, good. Um, yeah. Do we have any more to say about the store wars? Time will tell. Time will tell. <laughs> the classic. I think what we've established is ending <laughs> some things story. might happen, or they won't. But if they do, they had. They did. <laughs> some interesting tidbits they've dropped already about how it all works. So that there's not there won't be forums, for example. Yeah, um, that's a good thing. It implies that there's... Yeah, it is, yeah. Um, and there's going to be... Less people say Again, you should know that Tom had a faraway look of, kind of despair in his yeah. eyes. <laughs> um, but since when he was talking about like a direct ticketing system for people who have problems or bugs with the game... Um, Instead of a forum, like a way, different ways of delivering feedback that don't generate just hates yeah, and pylons yeah. and that kind of thing. Though you did say that there would <laughs> probably be a, um, uh, a review system, which is you know has not been so great for various developers, depending on uh, on Steam debate. Yeah, uh, I sort of I think I agree with the need for that though, because um, that's I mean I suppose it depends how mu- how much they're going in the curation direction. Like they say, they at first they're doing it invite only, mm. and then they'll look at it, how they expand it out from there. So maybe it eventually becomes open platform. But if you do an open platform, you definitely need some kind of way for, for mm. players to say, hey, this thing is literal garbage or like a virus. <laughs> Has, does anyone got a sense of how Discord's been doing as a game store? I'm too old. I, I kind of, it kind of opens yeah. up on the, ta- on the games tab and yeah. they hurriedly click away from it. Like, <laughs> yeah. And the games on it, like there's some nice games like Bad North and things on it, but. Mm. I said, like, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> that's the thing. That's that's what any competitor has to overcome is that feeling of like, oh, mm, mm, yeah. I'll just yeah. chat to my friends. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Incidentally, Tom, when you said that they want to do that without generating pylons, I just thought of a Starcraft and I can't unthink that now. <laughs> <laughs> like, you don't have enough pylons. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Add some forums. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, will it? It is? Maybe. <laughs> there, will. There, there has been. I mean, I, something has to change, though. Like, there, there's, there's enough things going on that I think that sort of some kind of main change is going, is happening because you also have Bethesda pushing its own client. Yeah. Obviously, EA long time broke away with Origin. Mm. Um, you know, you can see. What Steam was doing with its revenue change, revenue share changes mm. was, is about sort of making it a more attractive place for the big sellers. Sure. Cause they must be, they must have really felt the results of, of um, EA leaving all that time ago. Mm. Like Bethesda's games have, must have been significant sellers on Steam mm. over time, you know, and then suddenly mm. the latest Fallout. Well, you know, it doesn't matter that it's a bad game or whatever, but it's, it's, it's not on there. And what does that say about the, the next yeah. Star Wars yeah, you're game? Right. Yeah. And so that, you know, there's like, there's chips and chips and chips and now a dent, you know, all at the base of, of the steam tree. And, you know, <laughs> that was a hell of a fucking will analogy. They... <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think Dented what steam tree. Yeah. yeah de- <laughs> but yeah, I, I, there's got to be a ma- major reaction. But I, I don't know about the, the general sort of flow of forces around Steam, whether they're, whether it's going to be. Able yeah. To- yeah. And I think with Valve particularly, because they're so enigmatic, um, from the outside, hmm. there's a temptation to believe that there is a sort of grander plan for some of these things, right? Like, because, you know, we could get on to talking about it, but like people have been joking this week that because Artifact got review bombed, maybe this will be the thing that makes Valve go, maybe review bombing is bad. <laughs> and maybe our feedback system is bad. Well, actually, that's bad, actually. <laughs> like, and it's almost, but you know, then there's the sort of galaxy brain version of that where it's like, but what if this is how they prove review bombing is good? Because it doesn't affect them, for example. You know what I mean? That like, you know. <laughs> We just feel really comfortable in our beautiful offices and we see nasty things written about us and it doesn't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing hurts. Um, like that. That is, yeah. I wonder if that's, um, uh, that's an interesting thing about Valve is that they don't really have like, uh, figureheads associated with particular games. At least they try not to. And so there isn't like everyone reading a feedback is just seeing it in a very detached way of just like, okay, how do we solve this problem? Rather than a very personal way of like, yeah, you know, I'm sure like, I don't know if Ken Levine ever reads Steam user reviews of Bioshock, <laughs> but it, it would, it would yeah. probably sting if it's really, really negative because he is so, it like, would be, personally. It would, a lot of it would be pointed right at him. Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, the example that comes up is that Blizzard do it the opposite way. They, they put Jeff Kaplan at the front of Overwatch or Ben Brode at the front of Hearthstone. And then, and then they he cries on film. But then, but no, then they have to spend real money budget for securing those people from yeah. attack in real life. Like they have to buy security for those people because they've put them at the front of a video game, which uh, is f- fucking stupid. Yeah. What does that say about gamers? <laughs> like- uh, nothing good, but it, it justifies Val's approach, which is like, you know, it is this sort of like diffusal technique where you're right. Like when, when abuse is directed directly at Valve game on Steam, 
there's it's it's directed at the game is sort of abstract on steam mm. rather than being in in some developer's twitter feed or yeah. you know even worse you know than being stalked or harassed in another context so that does work and it maybe makes but you know i'm um, there's some i don't know but i don't know what that means for like what the policy of a storefront should be do you construct a storefront knowing that individual developers will want to put themselves at the forefront of their games um, and therefore you've got to build a storefront that protects them from abuse. Cause I would argue that's not a bad thing. Like maybe do that. Or do you educate people that unfortunately the environment we live and work in is so hostile that you should not put yourself at the forefront of your game ever. What's interesting is that um, one of the last like prominent examples of a developer getting review bombed for something that like a particular person on the dev team did was Campo Santo and Valve have hired Campo Santo. <laughs> so with like value of gods. Have, yeah, harassment expertise. It's going to be interesting because I mean, that, that was something I wondered when they got hired. Mm. It's like, do they have to all shut up now? Mm. Because they're a bunch of people on that team are very outspoken on Twitter. Um, and, uh, I didn't know if Valve like had a policy against that because so few Valve employees are. Um, and it doesn't seem to have like, uh, changed their, you know, outlook um i know jane ng has talked a lot on twitter both about like the same issues you used to talk about but also specifically about what it's like working at valve and a lot of insight that we feel like we haven't already had before yeah i mean this sort of thing came up recently with um i don't want to get into the the details but there's been a like an ongoing situation in the dota community about a a player's racist remarks and how that was going to get handled and valve eventually did have to step in and formally kind of ban that player and punish the team but it was only after the team failed to act and they made this very clear and it was um that i think it's only in the context of dota situations that i've seen you get well you get the sort of the particular response from valve where it's an anonymous you know blog post but written with quite a distinctive voice which is usually a we but it sounds like a particular person <laughs> it's like the sort of like it's a very like and sometimes you can guess who but it's it's sort of you know there's a sense of like there is a sort of you know um a direct action being taken, but you won't know quite where it comes from. Um, and the broader policy that stems from that isn't quite obvious. So it feels like there's still an attempt to like anonymize their actions, even as the action itself is clearly, you know, reactive and to some extent idiosyncratic or subjective. There's still that sort of desire to anonymize it and push it down and companify it. That's not a word, but I said it. In the Dota community, do people talk about Icefrog as being like, you know... Icefrog's when- def- so people tend to talk about Icefrog and Gabe. Like, <laughs> Valve don't really exist. Right. Like, if you in the, in the minds of the Dota community, the Dota team is Icefrog and Gabe. <laughs> <laughs> Dynamic duo. <laughs> like, and it, well, occasionally other people would sort of surface and become, you know, would be visible to the Dota community. But really, every decision is one of those two people. Like, weird balance change. Ice frog. <laughs> Christmas hats don't happen again. That was Gabe Neal. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, isn't it? But I guess uh, he is so enigmatic uh, anyway that that is... He's inherently yeah. kind of, yeah, yeah, shielded. Yeah. yeah, right, yeah. Maybe maybe that's the ideal format of a developer. For, <laughs> yeah. just Take on some sort of alter ego. Yeah, we'd like you to stick to your Naughties forum pseudonym <laughs> and under no circumstances reveal your actual identity. <laughs> but that's what those superheroes was all about, wasn't it? Protecting their families and stuff. Or like yeah, indeed. Angry yeah. gamers. Which I knew a developer superhero, Noob Lord 55, a man who was forced to retain his first username for his entire life and may never change it. <laughs> 
That's for his own yeah, safety and disco- safety of his own family. <laughs> Discover your game developer name. It's it's just your Neopets name. That's it. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's it. <laughs> Maybe there is something in this. Like, sort of, you know, there are all these problems with kind of proving who you are online. Everybody has one identity. Mm. You fuck around. It gets that's it. Poisons everything. Well, Bank account, the fucking lot. <laughs> Yeah, that's so. What you're saying, Alex, is the solution is the solution is more big data. Yeah, <laughs> like just a single login for everything. Yeah. Voting, big blobs of data, just <laughs> one massive. Yeah, if we have these different blobs of people, which we were talking about earlier, in different places, <laughs> Fortnite, Steam, Minecraft. What if it's just one big blob, man? Yeah, one big blob called Earth. <laughs> Isn't it though? It is. <laughs> is it? Will it? We don't know. <laughs> Chris. Yeah. What's the haps been happening in uh, the artifact? Yeah, it's interesting because you mentioned as you came, I wasn't aware of this, but you mentioned that it's been struggling, that artifact. Well, I mean, not, I don't know whether it's an official thing, but I looked at um, Steam charts for it, um, yeah. which is the kind of conco- current player count and seems to have be under half of the first day's uh, players, mm. player count and successive days just going on down at the moment. I mean, obviously that's a fairly normal thing for a new game that, you know, the first day is big and then it goes down. But I don't know. What does it feel like from the inside? Well, so it's hard to judge because I um, uh, like it a lot and I'm, I'm hugely biased. But and so therefore I shouldn't be trusted. <laughs> the other side, um, the other side of it is that I, I did start playing it in a circumstance where there were literally 300 people playing it in the, in the world and I would just leave it on um, until it found a game, which might take 20 minutes. So the fact that I now get a game immediately is like, it's fixed now. <laughs> um, and that has been my broader experience of it. I feel like the Ferrari that we talked about last time, and I think, I hope I was fair last time when I talked about the problems and the, the weird way the artifact feels. And I said at the time that I wanted to reassess it when the whole store was there and you could buy and sell cards and things. Oh yeah, we read a prepared statement from you on last week's podcast. <laughs> Did I prepare a statement? The thing you said in the Discord. Um, yeah. You sort of chimed in on it because you weren't going to be on the pod. And oh, yeah. We, we specifically right. got a question about artifacts, like monetization. So it's felt... We channeled you. To, what to did I voice say? And everything. Oh, shit. Now I've got to remember. Uh, basically what? that it was not that expensive to buy all the uncommon cards or something. Yeah. So I bought... I think you put cheap fucks on the end, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah. Get good. If you're not a peasant. Did you... <laughs> did you... Um, did you include my broader meditation on how I am from a generation that would probably rather spend money and, rather than time and we're facing a legion of teenagers that would rather spend time than money? I don't think so. Then let's not get into that. Yeah. <laughs> but it's true, that, though. We thought you might, yeah, that would be a bad Yeah, idea. it's true, though. That's definitely a thing. I think, um, I should move again to that in a minute. Basically, my experience of it as someone who has some disposable income and loves the game design-wise. I've talked about why I love the game design-wise. I don't want to get back into the weeds on that. Um, in fact, I'd be more interested to hear from you guys, honestly. But... Like, as soon as that store opened, I found that I was actually, because I'd bought, like, a, a couple of packs and things. I'd put, like, basically, I put the money down for a full game, so I put 40 quid down. Um, I realized that having sold all of my, uh, you know, valuable duplicates, I'd gained enough money to buy every common and uncommon card I was missing, and most of the rares, apart from the very spikiest rares that it cost the most, and I had a lot of them already. So I was in a good position. I was in a position where I could build most of the decks I wanted to play, and also I had so many cards left over, just the kind of relatively worthless commons, to recycle into event tickets that I'll never have to pay for expert mode tickets ever again so i felt suddenly much lighter with it i still think it could be tweaked but i felt suddenly much more generous like i can i can play all of the things i want to do in that game now without having to um ever really go near the spend money buttons which is maybe how any most games should work after you've bought them but 
you know, it was definitely, it made me feel a lot lighter. And actually it meant, it meant that I could sort of perceive earning back some of that value. Like I just finished my first, I just did my first ever flawless run through expert constructed, which is when you build the deck based on sharing packs with lots of other people. And it felt really good. And I earned two packs for it and I opened them and I didn't need any of the cards, but I got a couple of rares that I sold for a couple of quid and that made allow me to buy another pack. And so it sort of like spiraled in a, in a kind of neat way. And it was kind of gratifying and that was good. Um, does the money just go straight to your Steam wallet? Yeah. Right. Immediately. It's the interface. And, and actually, that's the other thing is I think they've done a really good job with that interface. I think it could have been, they could have made, if that process of selling and trading, or not, you can't trade, but selling and, and buying cards was oblique or fiddly. Like, I've just gotten locked out of it again because I, um, I didn't change my credit card information, but like, I moved between two payment methods that are saved or something. And that's enough to lock you out of spending money in the steam park. If it's so sensitive wow. for like three days. So I've got to wait till Thursday before I can, um, you know, sell more cards, whatever. But basically there's just an interface for it. And it's got all lots of really good filters. The It's the same as in the deck construction interface, but you can also filter by excess. And if you have the excess filter on, it will never let you um, like get rid of more cards than, because you can, you only ever need one of every hero and three of every other card, because that's the limit on deck building. So, if you have seven copies of a card, it will. If you have that particular flag ticked, it will never let you add more than four hmm. to the basket for getting rid of them, basically. And that creates this kind of comfort, le- like this, the measure of the system's success. I think is whether or not you can quickly, at a glance, kind of go through and get rid of all the things you don't want. It's almost like good inventory management in any other video game context, right? Like it's really obvious what you want to keep. It's really obvious what you don't. And you scroll down and it automatically updates market prices for you as next to the card. So it's like, here's this card. Most of them settle at two pence because that is the minimum value they can have based on the price of a ticket and the recycling value. And I think it's probably close to the minimum you can actually sell something for in the Steam market. And so when I want to sell stuff, I just go down and everything that's worth more than more than two pence, basically, because at that point it's worth selling rather than recycling. Just add it to a big basket and then you click sell this basket and then when it loads up the, the the window to sell them, it'll then update the market rates again. So sometimes it'll tell you if it's, they've gone up or down in the second since you did this. <laughs> and then you click sell and they all just go like dunk, 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 dunk. And then you get one of the most dangerous XP bars in the world, which is watching <laughs> in the Steam window, your money go up in real time. Because <laughs> they don't all sell immediately because it just it creates a sell order at the, at the current like competitive rate. And you can change those rates if you want, but it will automatically, it will automatically match you to the highest available sell order unless that changes in the moment between you clicking it and something else. And then if you want to just say, but no, I actually do want, I want 20 quid for this card. That's probably not going to happen, but you know, you can, you can put that in instead. And then as things sell your money updates in real time and you watch that for a bit, you're like, I'm leveling up, but in the way that, uh, matters. That- <laughs> yeah, exactly. In the way that matters, uh, but it doesn't matter because it's steam bucks and all I'm going to use it for is yeah. video games anyway. But like, it does. It is well implemented and buying stuff is good as well because you can create a sell order. Like I want to buy the card at this rate or you can just see what the current market price is. And that's, you know, if, if something is, you know, you can even, if you load the way the API works, if I sent you a URL to my deck, which you can export a URL from the game, you can then load it in the game and it will tell you what you, how much it would cost you at the current market rate for every missing card. It would cost you to build that deck right now. Um, that I actually quite like. And now that the system works as it does, I feel like it's better than a kind of grind for card packs, 
disassemble unwanted rares into dust make hearthstone is what i'm saying in short <laughs> simply because but this is precisely because i would rather spend money than time if someone says this legendary this 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 rare heavy deck is really fun i can literally load it up and go oh that's going to cost me three pounds is it worth three pounds to me to do this rather than i'd like to play this in hearthstone is that worth two months of grinding spending loads and loads of money on card packs and hoping to, you know, get enough average dust on average that I can craft the things I need, all these kind of oblique time and money sync systems. I would literally rather you just show me the cost of the thing. Um, But that is me. And I think it's been really interesting that there is so much animus reserved for the absence of the ability to grind for stuff. Like for me, not having daily login bonuses that you feel anxious for missing, not having timers and energy bars and um all that stuff is a bonus i'd rather the transaction be obvious hmm. but there's clearly a younger audience and i'm talking like a decade or two decades younger than me for whom that that games have always been the case and that has always been the case and the absence of that is a slight which is really interesting because also they don't have any money like they, right yeah know, they don't have your ready cash which which i think is a i think it's important you know, I would, I would like, you know, because I'm even older, I would like them to feel, well, this is too expensive. I can't play that then, but I'll save up for it. Oh, that's what, that's the attitude I'd like them to have. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. But, but like, you know, but it, it is significant that they don't have the money just to sort of go three quid on that and a sense of value where, where three quid in the context of a sort of microtransaction, like a, an immediate pay thing in a game is quite, a, feels like a, brick wall yeah i get that in the way that it doesn't it's funny like because i don't disagree with that and i think it's i think it's a reasonable point but it's just it's interesting how expectations have changed yeah yeah. because you can very easily spend three quid on like the nice thing about it is if you don't want to open any packs at all beyond your initial investment you can at a glance see the cost of everything in the game so there is none of that like oh maybe i should invest 20 quid in card packs and just see what i get you know if you want to that I understand as a concern about that as a gambling mechanism, because mm. it certainly is in all collectible card games. Um, and Magic the Gathering is certainly a very, very expensive hobby, but this makes it clear in a way, like it, it does it ultimately like, you know, buying. How, sorry, go on, Tom. how many cards are there? About 300, I think. Okay. So like, how much do you think it would cost you if you wanted to buy them all? I think it's about $200. I think okay. because someone figured it out like on average, because like the price differential is like Axe, who's the hero that is currently the rarest card in the game. It goes for about between 12 to 20 quid, depending on time of day, how many of them are there in the market. It fluctuates, but if you wait, you would get it for between 10, 12 quid, I reckon. And then every, then the next most expensive things float around like three, four, five quid. And then literally 90% of everything else is between 30 P and two pence. So you get, you know, it, it, you know, there's a big difference in buying everything from, you can get most things probably within a relatively modest investment. And then there's just a few remain remaining bits yeah. to grab. What's happened to the prices? Cause it's a market. They, they stay pretty steady. It's, it felt steady. It was a very, it fluctuated a lot of first and then it seemed to sink a lot. Like, oh. um, I think as more stuff became available, like certainly when I, when the market opened, cause Axe has been such an anomaly. Like, oh, Axe was 30 quid and has settled around 10. <laughs> so, you know, like 10 to 15. Um, when the market opened, I had a spare Legion commander who's, a, who's an uncommon card, but a very powerful hero, um, who I, that I sold for 
like one pound seventy, I think, and and she's reliably available for like thirty to fifty p now. So <laughs> it seems to have shut down, and I doubt that will change. Ironically, the thing that would might change it is if people stop buying card packs mm. and it pushes rarity mm. up for people who don't have them. Um, but that will probably keep people buying card packs because then they then the value of the card packs is more. So it's that's the magic of capitalism, everybody. <laughs> it's gambling. But like but nonetheless, like it seems to have balanced out quite I feel like when I'm apologizing for Artifact, I feel like I'm apologizing for like an openly abusive system. But the weird thing about it is it just feels less abusive to me. Then so there's there's Tom apologising for Steam. Yeah. You're <laughs> apologising for Artifact. Foul defence force. <laughs> um Welcome to the circus of Valve. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Ken Levine's really upset. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah. But anyway, that's the, the, the business stuff. I still love it as a game. Like, I'm really, really enjoying it. I think there's something really missing in it. What's that? Well, you know, in, you know, in Hearthstone, yeah. and you can click around yeah. and stuff happens. Fuck all that happens in this one. Can you be more specific? <laughs> well, I'm thinking specifically of the little, you know, dragony, demony, the naked little limp guys, fellas. Uh, when you click on their bottom, that should do something. <laughs> Honestly, though, that's just science. Yeah, like they look around at you with a sort of eager look, but it's not. You just you just poke the bottom. <laughs> It's not come enough. on! The it's thing that makes come me come on. This is an interactive medium. The thing I'm disappointed about, better. Alex, is all those millions invested in. They what? will sell new little demon things. I bet. I bet there's <laughs> things yeah, that with every interaction. You buy the premium you one. I bet there's things that happen when you click on their button. <laughs> the thing that disappoints me, Alex, is you're entirely right. <laughs> <laughs> It is the biggest oversight in the game. Like it's it, really strange in Hearthstone, you can tap beautiful. the little gems out of the statue or whatever. Mm. They did well at that. No, no lying, no yeah. lie. They got it right, and I love the effects of that. Artifact Splashy is very gratifying. water, there's all sorts, but it doesn't not not doesn't splash at you. Yeah, it's weird because Artifact is, feels very uh, tactile to me. It's got yeah, very, very lovely so. effects, mm. and yeah. even just the way that those little limbs lift the hinges of the the game, the Jumanji box open at the start, <laughs> all of that. That's very nice. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was also Pip's first instinct when I showed her the game was to click on things and hope, <laughs> click on the little In bottoms, bottoms and see if they they do anything. So. They do look round, like well, the one that's yours does. I don't think <laughs> they do. They <laughs> react. They react in a fun way to the game state. The animation's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Like they, there's a brilliant look when you're kind of if you're passing in a situation where you're fucked but even because you have to pass or whatever you get this look it, which is perfect like whoever did the whatever whatever animator had nothing else to work on so it's like i'm just gonna i'm just gonna do this perfect side eye from a little demon man with his bum out they really nailed it that tuesday um but yes you're right you cannot then click on them uh to get a further response so what's the fucking point now I'm going to review bomb them. <laughs> <laughs> it's like pricing sort of 10% of the negative reviews, the other 90% of the bombs. Let me click on the bombs. bombs. Gabe or Ice Frog or Richard that. Garfield, whichever the three of you it was or wasn't. Scatalized. Any of you. Yeah. Somehow this You're is going to take, take the shot for this. Yeah. <laughs> maybe that was the thing maybe Richard Garfield went into the office he's like I've got this idea I've never had to, I've never animated naked well, imps before well, like, he said hey guys I've got this idea for a card game and it's only going to work in a digital context why is that well it's nothing to do with the fact that it takes place on three simultaneous boards it's everything to do with the fact that I've been doing Magic the Gathering for like 30 years and I've never been able to click on an imp's bum you can't do it in Magic the Gathering <laughs> 
and that's it's gone on for too long and I, Richard Garfield, will change this. But then someone at Valve, fun killers, were like, no, the data horn says people don't want that. It's too personable. What you can see is you can look at the imp's ass, but you can't touch it. That's how we do things at Valve. No touching <laughs> You'll learn our company culture soon enough. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> it'll be, yeah. And don't ask the imp's name. <laughs> Doesn't have one. <laughs> and if the imp wants to leave and work on something else, <laughs> the imp's prerogative. Wheel their bum over to the next board. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that probably happened. <laughs> All of a sudden. Um, but you guys have played some artifact now, yeah? I played the, the tutorial and then I played against the AI once and I won easily. And so I, I decided perhaps unfairly that the AI was, uh, was non-functioning and <laughs> should quit forever. Uh, cause I'm only, in, I, I knew it wasn't really a game for me because I'm only interested in it single player and I actually didn't think there was any AI at all until Alex told me and then he forced me to buy it <laughs> on last week's <laughs> podcast. So I did. Um, but now Alex tells me that the AI is not completely limp. I've heard a lot well, of it, things it, about it, the AI. I, mean, I could be limp. I, <laughs> no. It beat me roundly, but then I, I could be the limp one. So this. I didn't know what I was doing in picking my own deck or their Dimp. deck. <laughs> <laughs> Did it beat you suddenly because you were just clicking on the imp's bottom? <laughs> I wasn't paying much attention to the cards, I have to say. <laughs> I was, like, in the game I played, I picked a, an all-red deck because um, I, I thought to learn cards might be better just to go all one colour. Um and I don't remember what I picked for them. I just picked something r- random from the list, which obviously could have been terrible, but perhaps I accidentally picked, or perhaps I did pick a terrible deck for them. I, think the AI I thought I was picking a terrible deck for myself. Complimentary one to the one you do. I thought I chose what they You can they choose. Are, are you, you can tell it like, do a random blue black deck and it'll do that for you. I was looking for like a just you decide button, but I couldn't see one. So I just picked a deck for them. Um, but I was, the reason I thought the AI was probably terrible was that obviously I'm a complete beginner. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And I, multiple times just made massive mistakes due to not understanding how a thing worked until I placed it. And I was like, oh, Jesus Christ, that's the opposite. I just massively benefited the enemy and like uh, destroyed myself. And I still won, you know, uh, like, I think it played several rounds actually. Um, but like, they didn't destroy any towers of mine and it was, it was very easy. So I've had, uh, what I would say is if you went all red, then that's very, very aggressive. Like, and that might burn through like a randomly assembled deck that isn't built for like just punching in the face all day. I could see why you could end up in that situation. Basically, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say it was wholly representative. Some of the things I slipped up on was things like I had a swap ability, which I'm always a big fan of in all games. Um, <laughs> and was it the pull strength from one thing and give it to another thing? Or was it uh, no, just places? I literally change places with Even a swap position, like a, an one. item that lets me do that. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Face boots. Face boots. I made a mistake with face boots. Uh, I, That's the, the same item. Um, if I understand it correctly now, the way it works is that if you, if the person you're switching places with it is aiming like to their right, you will be aiming to their right when you switch with them. Like yeah. you sort of inherit their attack direction. Yeah, because I wasn't the, expecting that. The inherit the attack direction is kind of a card that's sitting in the yeah, gap. Now, they, they, after they, I knew they that, they show I, you go they're going down, but they don't. Yeah. sort of express it's still there. Yeah, there's sort of this like yeah, hidden information. Cool. Well, it's not really hidden because you can see which which direction everyone's aiming yeah, in. But, but it is an int- intuitive that it would take the same. Yeah. Turn. There's also times when you could play a card in front of a opposition card, and their direction changes without a card being played. I still understand why that happens. Or yeah, that's or yeah. When. In fact, facing is like probably the most advanced thing that like takes you a while to understand exactly yeah. how it works. There is a logic to it, but mm. it's like maybe not that well expressed. Mm. I also because I'm I've played Magic like twice in real life, and that's it. Um, 
and I think it took me I think I had trouble getting my head around in magic and then it's been long enough that I forgot it again. I had to learn it all over again with artifacts and it still was counterintuitive. It's just the whole concept of blocking, like the idea that if there's something in the way at all, then it completely blocks your attack from getting yeah, through. And, sure, yeah. and then also the artifact has like siege, which, which gets around that to some extent. Just mm. trample magic, I think. There was like, I, I did understand it. I, I didn't know that was the rule, but then I just kept forgetting in individual context, like, oh, this is great. I'm beating this guy by like 17 points. I'm going to do loads of damage. <laughs> nope. Doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because blocking's the game to a big extent. Like yeah. managing blocking, or if you're not going to manage blocking, you have to have a real good plan otherwise. I also didn't understand, like, at the start of the game, not all of my heroes in my deck are on the board, right? No. When do they appear? <laughs> you get one at the start of turn two and the one at the start of turn three. Oh, okay. And you plan that. So when you build a deck, you establish which three are in the first set and then who arrives turn Oh, okay. two and who arrives two and three so there's quite a lot of strategy in that so if you have like because there's interesting kind of so if you have a deck that is multicolor, but most of your like let's say most of your red cards are one two or three mana it makes sense to maybe go with an all red opening because mm. you're more likely to have those cards in your hand in the first turn alternatively you may have some crucial like improvements that have more value the longer they're on the board therefore you want someone of the appropriate color on the board faster which is often the case for like maybe some blue cards, but at the same time, if you have blue heroes on the board, they have few less health. They might just get murdered on the first turn. So there's kind of a oh my a game God. to it. It's complicated, Alex. It's really. This is what you've got to be thinking about when you're not thinking about clicking on the little imp bumps. I was I was overwhelmed as it was. It's good. I like it a lot. No, it's, it's cool. The- I, I do. I did. I did like it, but I did find it. It's it. There's in the main menu. You know, I looked. At, there's the managing the di- the deck thing, and I think I was talked before about. I really don't have the patience to um, to manage decks and to figure out stuff and look at the synergies and yeah. I like to just to play and I just and they're obviously in our fact you can ju- totally just play because there are there are good mm. decks that just come with it but, but oh god I, I just felt that, so fucking tired having that trouble with uh, Thronebreaker the Witcher mm. card game RPG thing where. Like, it just gives you a deck and it starts you out. You don't have to think about it. But then there's this camp and at the camp, you can kind of edit your deck and the interface of doing it. I've just, I've looked at it like, I've gone back to camp like five different times and looked at it and just thought, <gasps> <laughs> just, oh, do you just, need to though? Like, does it, do, do, do you feel that you, you certainly you... have to build your deck. I'm pretty sure, oh, but it's, there's just like, there's a like bunch of cards i just can't tell the most basic things like which of these lists is the things i do have and which is the list of things i don't have and which is like because there's there's deck and then there's like what you've there's cards you have access to and then there's cards that are in your deck um and then there's cards that um i don't know like one of the main things is like they're green but disabled <laughs> it's like they're sort of like faded out like they're, they don't have their, their colors and it's like green tells me I do have it, but faded out tells me I don't have it. <laughs> like, do I have it or not have it? And I, I, I think I figured it out now, but like the main screen that it points you to with all these like cards, it looks like it's your deck is not your deck. That's all the things that could be on your deck, but aren't, but 
all of my cards are in my deck, so all of those are placeholders telling me that I don't have any more of the things that are in my deck, but I do have them. <laughs> uh. <laughs> so it's just one of those interfaces that's just like, uh... <laughs> you went back, back to Slay the Spire where <laughs> yes. the, the cards oh, yeah. just turn up and you make a choice <laughs> as yeah. they arrive. Slay the Spire is so good. <laughs> I do I, I do resort to it in exactly those situations, like when I'm thinking like, oh, I've got these three different things I'm playing, like two of them are really complex and interesting, and the other ones, well, Slay the Spire is complex, but it's to play it i play it on a gamepad and it's just i press left and right and choose the yeah. choose button and things <laughs> come to you left like, right and yes you had the executive decision but you don't yeah. have to fucking organize anything hmm. yep what have you made of it tom i know you played a little bit yeah i played about so between 12 and 15 hours of it dang because i like i had a day off right after it came out and i just played it all day just Whoa. like solid yeah because it's really good like it's, it's really really good i think the starter pack is bad actually i think um <laughs> so if it wasn't for an, a start an event that was running alongside the release of the starter deck which gives you a bunch of predefined decks with loads of very exciting heroes and exciting cards built specifically for you um i i'm not sure i would have persisted with it because i think a lot of the heroes you get the first two decks the base decks the, the cards you actually get are pretty boring and tricky to play yeah, with. Yeah, yeah. Um, but when you start playing with stuff like Legion Commando, it's like mm. super powerful and get really fat and get, you know, just wreck entire lanes. What does uh, Legion Commando do? So, Chris will know better than me. So she, <laughs> she has built-in retaliate, which means oh, yeah. she does damage to you. When you hit her, you take damage as well as simply, obviously when cards hit each other, they both do damage yeah. to each other, but she does an extra two, basically. So it's a functionally a flat plus two to her damage. Yeah. But also she has good armor, good health, good damage and her signature card is dual mm. which oh, make, it means you it's cost two mana which is really cheap and you pick a red hero and then get them to fight any other hero um and it's just a fight as if it were the combat phase but it means that you can kind of get the get a jump on people and mm. you attack twice you attack again at the, at the end of the you can so you could duel the person in front of you and if it didn't kill them you can then hit them again yeah or you, they can hit you again hmm. um and obviously, you know, you potentially take damage from that because you're dueling them, so they hit you as well. Yeah. But there are ways of setting up stuff so it goes your way, and it's very, very gratifying. Yeah, plus, like, so you can select your target, so you can basically, you can see your health value and their attack value, and you can just, like, ruin a lane with it because <laughs> you can preemptively delete a hero that would obviously cause you massive problems. It's just, it's really fun. And the key thing about it is that when it, it specifies a red hero, it doesn't have to be Legion Commander. Hmm. So if you have uh, a deck with Axe, which is another red hero, and they're also tremendously powerful, you can use Axe to dual people if you have Legion Commander in your deck like um, I was ill last week which is why I wasn't on the pod but I was well enough to like sit in my dressing gown and play and stream Artifact <laughs> which is exactly what I did mm. and uh, if you know uh, the watch that for two hours of me saying I'm fucked if they've top deck dual <laughs> and <then laughs> and, yeah. and sometimes they had and sometimes they had not yeah the thing that kind of revealed itself to me is it, it took me a while to realise that heroes come with cards like that and right. they often like benefit they're, they're synergistic as well as benefit that benefit to that hero in particular. Yeah. So you can have a hero that has kind of a crappy stat line and maybe a kind of half cool ability, but they're a bit like Zeus or like that. Zeus is like got a board wide nuke that's fucking amazing. So uh, it costs quite a lot of mana, seven or something like that. Uh, but he just does four damage to every enemy hero on the deck and the camera on, in any lane as well. In any, all, lane. Across all lanes and the camera sw- switches to kind of like strafe bombing. Oh yeah, they did that to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> fucking sucks. What, what the hell is the camera doing? Well, the camera just sort of sweeps across <laughs> the line of guards. Yeah, and then you see nukes coming like down, just lightning bolts, and um, they'll shake. And if it actually kills them, they'll sort of like disintegrate, spinning off into the universe. <laughs> uh, it's, it's one of the it, it's, 
so choice. It's really deliciously <laughs> satisfying when, when you do that, especially when it just like clears a lane. I, I really like the tension of having three lanes that you're pushing and pulling. And I, I really enjoy just kind of like choosing when to just dump a lane. And it's like, well, that's done. They've invested loads of cards in there. I'm sure they don't have enough like town portal scrolls or whatever to teleport them out. They're stuck there. So fuck that tower. I'm just going to pour everything into these other bits and uh, yeah. it, just learn more and more about how the, the rhythm of the game works. I really like the game, but I can completely see why people switch off it. Because if you, because you don't own any of the cards in those cool kind of starter event packs, you don't own any of those hero cards. Uh, and I did like, I was sitting there thinking, oh man, if only, if only you just had like some of those cards, I could just work in and start building decks with them. And there's no way to like just trial them or you know own them for a bit or I don't know like, what I wanted really. Um, but I, I just put ten quid down and got some interesting cards like like Winter Wyvern or something yeah, like that. She's who, yeah, she's got like has some interesting abilities and. Um, uh, I think I got like a pretty good card actually. She just adds plus one attack to every hero on the board. Oh, drow uh, range, not drow range. So drow, yeah. Oh, you, drow. you pull drow. It, it, so there's two the things. A drow is like the ambient plus one damage aura to everything. Yeah, I think that's. I think and very good signature as well. And it's fucking amazing. Like that's just that's just yeah. a great card, and it's really fun because it just makes. She's in the S tier club, I think. Yeah, it doesn't the surprise S me. club. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> if you it's, will. <laughs> it's really good. I really like it, and you can. Uh, I, I think it has a really interesting relationship with chance specifically that like there's the, there are dice rolls just built in throughout yeah. the game. Like it, it's really chancy in a way that um, so far I've found actually quite satisfying because I don't like the Hearthstone. I've built my deck and either it does the thing it does or it doesn't, you know, hmm. do I, do I pull my um, mage nuke spell or not? Oh, well, I didn't, you know, I, it's much more fun to kind of be like, Oh no, shit, that's gone wrong. Let's try and re- rework things. But at the same time, uh, I've had a load of games where I just didn't draw a teleport scroll and I feel like I just need blink daggers in a big red deck to be able to teleport strong people around, you know, and if it just doesn't sort of happen, then that's obviously a bit frustrating. It can, yeah, it can be. I think, I, I think mm. I've just, I'm thinking at the moment I'm coming out the other side of that feeling because mm. I went that, I went through that in a big way, yeah. like, because it can definitely screw you. And when I, I, I went there to talk to them about it, like, um, I put, I pointed out the fact that you've got like, quite large decks and no mulligan so the odds of you seeing all your cards in a given game is actually quite low uh even mad things can happen where like you have got six copies of a card in your deck and you never see it which in in hearthstone would like never happen yeah even if it were possible particularly in draft where you can double up on heroes and stuff um and you know richard garfield's answer was like well just look backwards in time far enough until you find the point where you could have made a difference and it's like well thanks richard garfield <laughs> get back to uh, get back to your imp bombs exactly um and um but now i'm sort of starting to like partly i've been playing basically just constructed which is where you spend a ticket to like build a deck and, oh, okay. and compete with that yeah, that's interesting. and that has a luck element because occasionally you get someone who just got insanely lucky with their deck construction where it's like jesus christ you've got like just s tier heroes how the hell did that happen yeah. yeah but that's rare like a lot of the time it's like you have to make some interesting decisions about what you do and don't Ooh. do and there's a meta but it's it's always imperfect and that's where the best games kind of live Good pop noise there. <laughs> I, I do enjoy like coming up against a deck that just has, oh, they've got an axe. And now it's, how am I going to play know, around that? Yeah. yeah. How, how am I going to bog down that axe? What am I going to do? Like this. Uh, you just kind of leave him to it. You just yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah. if you can stop him teleporting around. Yeah. Which, that's that's know, the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and, and there, there has to be, there have to be limited teleports in the game. Otherwise it would just be a farce. Like axe would just go around everywhere or Legion Commander who you put a few items on there and te- teleport her around somewhere. Like you, there has to be the chance that they can't do that all the time. And I can see that it's just essential to the game. I think, yeah, I, I'm at a satisfying point with it now where I'm starting to realize m- more of the mistakes I'm making. Hmm. Like I'm getting better results, but also more aware of like that was a mistake, but for some complicated three turns from now, <laughs> like, um, 
you know, about like, um, I, I'm, the deck I just won with was a bit mad, but Kana is another hero that I find really interesting. Oh yeah. Because she's one of the top tier. What she does is she's a blue mage basically, but she's like the master of the dire creeps, like the, the lane creeps from Dota. And when she is in a lane, the two random creeps that get distributed will always go to her. Uh, so it completely switches off that random element. They will always go to her. So if she's alive for a long time and she's got a decent amount of health, that lane will just fill up with creeps. Mm. But the problem is your opponents, but creeps can be really useful because they block stuff in other lanes mm. so she lets your opponents know that you're never going to have free blocking in any other lane other than the mm. one she's in and so some people go through initial wave of like panicking when they see her and like god gotta stop her because she's going to create this death lane yeah but you know maybe that doesn't happen and then you get more experienced players who are like control her a bit but don't you can actually capitalize on it in other lanes and it becomes really interesting for both players mm. but then i started to like i basically won all these games in this draft tournament because I got a little bit lucky and I managed to get three copies of a black card called Disciple of Nevermore, mm. which has an interesting effect, which is it gives everyone in a lane plus two damage and everyone in a lane minus two armor, which means they basically take plus two damage from every source. Everybody dies. Everybody they dies all the fucking time. And, but you can get insane damage out of this. Mm. So I would hold on to them for as long as possible, particularly if I had more than a couple of them in my hand. Wait until that canna lane had gotten like big, but not like mega scary and then play them all to that lane. So suddenly all of her army of creeps are doing like, eight damage each and i'm doing like 130 damage to the ancient and there's nothing someone can do <laughs> yeah so yeah. that's like plan that's the game plan and you get there and you surprise someone with it mm. but then the step before that is do that in the leftmost lane almost always do it in the leftmost lane and this is a really compelling reason not to and that's because that's yeah, the one you resolve totally first mm. so it's like even if people are like building their mega plan because yeah, yeah. you have to sacrifice quite a lot to set that up people are building their mega line mega plan in the third lane and you're definitely going to lose the game next turn but then it doesn't matter because suddenly mm. You know, they're it's just really drowning in dudes. It's really subtle, the importance of that first lane. Like, yeah. It's really interesting how, like, you always want something in operation there because it, it is vital and you can preempt people and, and stuff. It's really cool. There's some really cool cards in it as well that, again, aren't in the starter deck. There's a, a really fun one that is, it's a creep where it's, it's got um, a, a special ability that just eats the things around it and they kind of become mm. absorbed into it oh, yeah. and it gains all their stats. Uh, and this is amazing because they can just become incredible and it's got a disgusting effect where this black goo just kind of subsumes the stuff about it. But it's a great way to get rid of a hero out of a lane if you want to move them. I mean, it's got that like extra yep. thing where it's like, okay, put this next to a hero you might want to delete. If you don't have any Titan Portal Scrolls, use this ability in this sideways way instead to eat him and then you can come back and redeploy somewhere else and that that, that this, the game is full of that type of stuff yeah this is really it's fun really cool. like um rev telcom voy hmm. is like a merchant carrier yeah. fan yeah. where it has 20 health which is a lot like twice as much as oh, even is that the money hero. Yeah. Oh, yeah but its damage value is equal to half your current unspent money because it's basically just it's just a load of merchants and apparently they are as dangerous as they are wealthy <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so so like so if you if you earn loads of money quickly you can play it and suddenly people have to deal with it, but then you can completely destroy its value as soon as they've committed to dealing with it by turning it into items. And it's like, fuck you, you're just attacking a caravan now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's, oh man. It's- and it changes in real time, that, that card as well. So if you, if, oh shit, I've really got to buy some stuff, that caravan becomes shit now. So yeah. it just loses its value just as you, but if it's not, it across and the lanes. like no good items appear, yeah. you're like, well, I'm just gonna leave this caravan in this lane, like just fucking people up. Like- 15 strength. <laughs> it's a really, it's a relatively cheap card for the, the level of power, power you can get. get. Yeah. yeah, which is interesting. Yeah. yeah. Oh god. I'm glad you like it, Tom. I, I I was pretty sure you would like it yeah. based on like our shared interests in this kind of thing. I used but, to play like, like a lot of magic as well and I could see the DNA in it, but also how it's streamlined in a lot of ways, which is not a thing to say about a game that's been split into three different lanes and greatly <laughs> complexified. But just like I I never liked 
the different mana pools. I never liked the fact you had to own a certain number of swamps or, or flaming pits in magic to actually. I just hate to own that many swamps. <laughs> it gets me down. The okay. admin alone. The, 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 the hard side thing of just like every lane ticking up and there being like different power curves to different decks that kind of come online when they're like seven mana is, that's a fucking cool thing as well. I really like it. It's really good. Um, I'd have to, I'm going to spend quite a lot of money on it, I think. Um, <laughs> but I can see why people wouldn't. I think like, you hit a wall with it where you've tried it and it doesn't have all the grabby stuff to bring you back. The heroes that you actually own aren't interesting enough, I think, to make many interesting decks out of unless you you have splashed out and spent 10 quid, maybe 20 quid on a bunch of card packs. Yeah. Uh, and also, I think uh, you don't have the expertise when you start to know what you want, even want to buy from the store. Like all these reams of kind of like twenty cent uh, cards. Like that's quite a big um, mental expenditure to go in there and actually pick out a bunch of stuff that you want until you've played the game a load and actually understand it. I feel better. very lucky and incapable of reviewing Artifact because <laughs> I spent a month and a half mm. with every card playing yeah. in the close beta. Like that taught me a lot obviously about the game but it also taught me a lot about what i enjoy mm. like there are, there are there are heroes that are tremendously cheap that i think are hugely overrated because there's a tier list that has kind of gone around now so people kind of know what to look for yeah but like um there are, there are cards that i just think are super interesting but uh underrated like pugna um who's like a little demon child skeleton mm. um whose signature ability places a ward in a lane and whenever you cast a spell on that lane uh, whenever your opponent casts a spell, it does two damage to their tower. Mm. And it creates this really interesting psychological effect where you can line them up and people sort of ignore it at first and then it kills them. And it's, there's loads of stuff in the game that I really like that you only get through experimentation. So you're absolutely right that... More experimentation. Yeah, I suppose that's what draft mode's for, kind of, is yeah. like you, you you pay a ticket, you go in, you build a deck out of the entire sum of the cards in the game and mm. you see what, happens. see what happens. But yeah... But even then, if you want to recoup your investment, you're probably going to be led towards the meta stuff, which means you're going to be mm. looking at what people are saying is good and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I still, like, I still don't, don't know what I think about the monetization stuff. Um, even as, as much as I love the game, I, I, I don't know. I th- if they keep, if they're ongoing events, the kind of rotating cards that are made available to you are as good as the first one. I think that's kind of fine because yeah. I've treated it as a single player mode. Basically, I've basically just gone through each of these. I think there are like six or eight decks and mm. they're all really well themed and interesting and full of crazy cards. Um, and just fought the AI and then fought real people with them. Um, and that's been a, a quality 12 hour single player mode I've enjoyed. Um, and that's justified the cost of investment for me already. Uh, so if they can keep that up, I think that is a way that for way to create value for people. Mm. I want to play it now. That's <laughs> uh, Alex, mm-hmm. why don't you tell us about something you've been playing? Uh, I've been playing uh, uh, Mutant Year Zero mm. Road mm. to Eden. I see. Which is a XCOM-like uh, tactical game, 3D. You are a mutant pig, a mutant duck. You can meet a mutant fox. Uh, and you're exploring uh, post-apocalypse Sweden. So it's pretty nice. good, hmm. I'd say. <laughs> well, yeah. that's that bad. Yeah. <laughs> that was the basis. Yeah, it's like a, uh, it's a, um, it's a game based on a Swedish RPG. Did you know, have you heard of Mutant? Like it's a. No, it's, the think, art rings a bell, so I must have seen yeah. something somewhere a bit. So it's been around since the eighties where it was sort of basically like a cyberpunk kind of, um, uh, RPG system. Uh, but it was re kind of like a new edition came out called, um, Mutant Year Zero, um, in two, 2015 or 16 mm. or something, maybe 14. 
the last few years anyway, uh, which kind of reset the story. It used to be sort of set in cities and stuff, but then reset the story. So it was about mutants exploring the zone and the mutants you would be playing as stalkers. So like, weirdly enough, <laughs> they went, to, they, they right. went to games, ripped a load of kind of post-apocalyptic kind of stuff out of one game. And now this game has popped up out coming directly out of the RPG. So you are a bunch of stalkers. Um, it makes some really like, and you know, th- it has very XCOMI combat. So it's the more or less the same interface, same kind of move and action or sprint and no action style setup. Um, its biggest kind of, um, twist on that is, um, the addition of, uh, or two additions. One is, um, a real time exploration element, um, where the world, like the, the get it, you're not in distinct levels. Um, you are exploring a world of connected kind of areas, um, and the enemies and things are sort of wandering around and kind of around bases and, and sort of doing patrols, um, in these areas. And when you go in, you're in real time and there you can see them wandering around. Um, and then you choose when you initiate the combat. Mm, right. Or if you blunder into their sort of radius of awareness, um, combat will start, but with them taking the first turn. So there's an element of the game where, um, you are engineering situations where you have the upper hand and you'll need the upper hand because you're most, mostly very overwhelmed. You only have three fighters on your team at any time um and um and you're up against a lot of enemies usually um and there's a stealth element and a kind of so that so that uh if you manage to pick out an enemy you know that's away from its its friends and you can take them out without them uh, raising the alarm you will be able to exit combat and then get another position maybe isolate another enemy and take them whittle them down like that um but if you can't kill them on that turn they will call for help um uh and you'll be facing everybody who is in the radius of the people that kind of get alerted right. so it's got like a stealthy sort of alert system going on um and uh the other side yeah is is this sort of stealth side so that you're constantly popping in and out of their awareness kind of as you hide behind stuff and get out of the way with lots of sort of bonuses to kind of critical hits and kind of, and accuracy and things that come so you, with that. You can like hide from them during the combat. Yeah. And I must admit, I finished it. And I still don't know quite <laughs> how it works because, because there's a symbol that appears over their head when they're, when, when they're, when they're not in stealth, they're just, they don't, the enemy doesn't know right. their position. Um, and, that will happen after their attack sometimes. It could sometimes happen when smoke's put down, which is completely invisible to the, you know, completely obliterates vision for mm. the enemy, for the enemy through it. Um, so I'm not totally sure. So I never really used that too much. Um, mostly I used the, the stealth element of the real time, you know, and moving into the, to the tactical side. Um, uh, I must admit, even the, the the sort of stealth kill thing that you have to do, you can't use a shotgun when you're trying to kill somebody in that turn because people will, everyone else will hear <laughs> your your um, gun guns. So you've got to use stealth weapons. And there's a point in the game, and it feels like a balancing issue, where you literally can't do enough detail, uh, detail enough damage in a mm-hmm. turn to, to to take them out. 
I think you might be able to use stun effects on them <coughs> to stop them from from raising the alarm. But that's not everybody. Like there's you can you can EMP stun robots, but I don't know how you would stun like a human humanoid character, like an organic enemies, like without them being able to raise. The alarm. Mm. Are you trying to take out everyone in one turn? Uh, no, just the ones that are alerted. So usually that, that's a situation where you found someone on their own, they're like patrolling and you want to chase them down, get rid of them, you know, so you're sort of facing less later on. Right. But mostly by the end of the game, actually I was using it more to get them into high places. So the duck, my duck, he's called ducks. <laughs> is, is that the game's name for him or did you know uh, no i would not have chosen that name. <laughs> but i grew to love it and i loved ducks very dearly ducks was my sniper and um and by the end of the game he had various skills which increased his crit damage uh, crit chance massive like by heart like doubled his crit chance when he was uh at a height advantage and so he would pop up get get him on high get him inside a window get him on top of a uh uh, a, a kind of um, a, a little child's playground kind of, <laughs> sort of wow. climbing frame, all those kinds of things, um, and uh, and then use uh, Bormin, who is the pig, um, mm. and he is like the tank, and he has. Is it spelled like B O A R? B O R M I N. Yeah, so he he's a, he's kind of like a tanky character. He has quite a lot of health, um, and he has a skill called um, Iron Skin. I think it's called where he can chug off all damage for a turn. Oh, um, nice. uh, there's um, and then I also used Pharaoh the Fox, who was good at um, sort of remaining in stealth. I was good at remaining in stealth because she has an ability to move between points that weren't visible to the to the mm. enemies. Um, like because, teleport? Uh, <laughs> creeping. <laughs> creeping? Okay. No, it's not a teleport. Is there like it, a distance limit? Uh, not with that skill, but... Okay. but I call uh, that a teleport. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it acts like a teleport. Um, there was that game that where you could you could teleport between any shadow, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That? yeah. What's that? Yeah. Don't remember. Recognise the name. Yeah, <laughs> recognise the idea. Um, and so she would sort of go in and she was about getting up close and sort of doing massive shot da- shotgun damage um from from stealth you know nice. without them realizing um the, it's a really one of the best things about it though is actually a subtle thing which is that it's really good at making sure you have information like mm. it's you know you know um well, so first off uh it um the the chances of getting hits are limited to 25 50, 75, 100. Like, so it's, it's just a four point kind of sort of variance of, of your chances. Um, cover, uh, low cover gives you a 25% bonus. High cover gives you a 50% bonus. Distance will kind of do it in those sort of quarter, you know, quarter chance kind of, um, increments as well. So it's really, uh, legible and sort of, yeah, sort of, easy to kind of deal with um when you're kind of hovering around you know working out where to move you know exactly what the hit chances are for every square um 
you know, um, and, and the critical damage, uh, thing when you're taking a shot, there's a list on the side of the screen telling you exactly why your crit damage percentage <laughs> is that, you know, you know what crit damage you'll get if you do get one by the end of the game. And this is actually a criticism. Um, like it ups the ante toward, you know, after maybe the, first half of the game or maybe the sort of last third by just upping the hp counts of enemies mm. you know and you're you don't really rise that much nothing like as much as them your hp is always about half of theirs by the end do you of the have game. any ways to like sort of multiply and magnify your damage not really so you're pretty much limited to to your best weapons kind of high you know crit damage max that that's it and so by the end of the game most enemies will require everybody taking a shot and getting you know probably most of them getting crit damage to take out an enemy you know Mm. from from scratch and that that did feel there was a point at which that was pretty annoying and then about like in xcom you can uh it's still pretty flat but the the best you can do is like if your best ranger guy has the best shotgun you can give them and you equip them with a special kind of ammo that's really good against this target, then you can use their like run and gun ability to get them right up to close to the enemy so you have a super high crit chance and then blast them for like a, a really good amount of damage. And then you use someone else's ability to give them an extra action. So right. they act twice instead of someone else acting twice. And then you can kind of like stack it that way. Yeah. yeah. No, there isn't anything like that. There's no kind of pass off of, of, of um, turns or anything like that. It's more simple, which, you know, I, I like the fact that it's simple, but you don't get to be super clever in mm. this. It's about the setup more than it is the execution. I think it's about making sure you've engineered the best situation for and you're using the environment well right you know and um i misunderstood something about the game though as well where um it's really dumb in retrospect but i didn't realize that it doesn't have payer permadeath and there is actually there is an iron man mode and it does say permadeath and you don't get to save and i just didn't think about that therefore then the permanent falls in the game because i went through the entire game not letting anybody die like you can let them kind of get get incapacitated so then you'd medicate them up but then they would die and i thought oh my god reset reload reload um no because they pop back to life again at the end <laughs> so of the you game. had like a reverse schindler's list moment yeah where you're like i could have let all these people die <laughs> yeah. these fuckers i spent so much time saving them yeah. it didn't matter they could have just I did. died <laughs> i oh, i replayed so many things because i just got i thought i got myself into a, i kept thinking so how would the narrative work like if because there's all these cutscenes with characters in and they're still alive <laughs> so how would would they like just not be in these cutscenes when but no they'd have been alive because they that was kind of annoying but <laughs> so i actually probably put a bit more pressure on myself than was totally necessary so i found it quite challenging um but uh but the world you're ex- exploring is like like for me like it was a really nice mix of there's the cartoon weirdness of the fact that you've got a duck and a pig and stuff. Um, uh, and there's quite a lot of, sort of jokes and things and sort of, it's all quite irreverent. And, and I actually looked, I saw that, um, so it's made by a Swedish team. And so a lot of the references in the environments are Swedish references. So like, mm. you know, like puns in Swedish <laughs> of Swedish shops and things. Um, so there's all that in there, but there's just skeletons and death everywhere. It's pretty grim. 
But then you go into a bar and there's like a skeleton propped up with a bar, <laughs> a pint, you know, like sort of, you know, where it's died sort of thing. <laughs> um, and then that's next to a kind of like quarantine area where everyone's in body bags as well. And like there's sort of lots of environmental storytelling with kind of campsites and poignant kind of like sort of sort of um playgrounds and things like that but um but they're like it's really like there's so much detail like really surprising amounts of detail like you view almost everything from high up above and then you sort of zoom in when you're like making a shot but you when you're in that view you suddenly realize that shit they really have put fuck loads there's there's little little kind of um toadstools all around on the floor which you can't see from any other angle Mm. it's quite it's really pretty and Mm. light shafts and sort of fog and that kind of thing Mm. but um but it kind of stops really abruptly i didn't i hadn't maxed out all my characters and i'd barely used you have five you eventually have five different characters but no but only use three in, in, you know, in your squad, active squad. And I just hardly used two of them. And there's no end game. Like the story ends and that's that. There's no regenerating enemies or anything like that. Once you've gone through an area, it's swept clean forever. Mm. Um, so that felt curiously missing. Like it felt like mm. there should be an end game or something. You know, it set up this idea that you're stalkers in this world collecting scrap for your settlement. But like, you know, you don't you you just play the story and that's that but it's i recommend it like it's it's a it's a lot of fun and some some tight tactical stuff sort of weird stuff the skills are fun like you can grow moth wings and sort of fly and stuff because you're more mutants and um man at duck wings good question that's a very good question i'm sorry to have asked a question that wasn't possible to answer <laughs> yeah that, that, that yeah that's a good question. They would support like a humanoid sized mutant a lot better than Mothwings. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There, there is a human character that has that same skill, but that. There's, there's could just have a human? Wings too. Yeah, there are two humans. Yeah. Is that, those are two you didn't really use? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that does seem a bit. Really boring. Phoning it in. Yeah. <laughs> After the duck and the pig and the fox. <laughs> what have you been up to, Tom? I have played. I want to. Briefly mention Slay the Spire again, um, because I've been playing that a bunch in sealed deck mode, which is where you get presented with 30 random cards for that class, and you pick 10, and then that's your deck for the game, which is, mm-hmm. compared to a normal Slay the Spire deck, A, it's extremely small. That's a very, very small deck. Um, and B, it's all good. Like, none of the starter cards that there's... um yeah, none, none of the starter cards are in that selection ever. So you have no strikes and defends, uh, which are the like the basic ones that just do some damage that are the same for all classes, and they're just bad. Like, every other card in the game is better, basically. Um, so basically, it's easy mode. Like, it's just you have a way better deck, and it's small enough. Um, but the thing that's really cool about it is I, it's letting me get at the kind of, like, really advanced stuff that I can't normally pull off, because there are loads of synergies that only work if you have a small enough deck. Like, this... Um, this card synergizes with this card but only if you can be reasonably sure you'll get it in your next hand um and if you have a deck of like 25 cards and 10 of them are just these dull straight damage and block things um you can't be sure of that unless you get really lucky with like um the game offering you a lot of opportunities to remove cards from your deck so for me it just cuts out the craft and i just get really quickly to a whole new interesting thing um and yeah i'm just discovering so much more about combinations and just like all those builds that i thought were kind of uh, as not worth ever going for that now i go for it because i i have such a big head start in getting it to work 
So like I've just recently realized that like the uh the silent, which is kind of the rogue class, they have uh a power called footwork, which just adds gives you dexterity, and dexterity is just a flat addition to all block you ever generate from cards. Um and they also have a card called Blur, which is a decent amount of block, and then you retain your block for another turn. Um and they also have a, a card called Dodge and Roll, which is like four block now and four block next turn. And those three, obviously they all work together. Like it's, it's clear that those all help each other, but I'm just now realizing like, oh shit, these really help each other because like, so if you have two dexterity, then you're getting two extra block on everything. The thing that used to be four block this turn, four block next turn is now six block this turn and six block next turn. So you basically get the benefit twice. And then blur, if you're using that, A, it gets two extra block anyway. And it's keeping the, like, if you're not being attacked this turn, but you might be attacked next turn, and you have those two cards, and you already have dexterity going, then you're getting uh, extra dexterity from Blur, extra dexterity from Dodge and Roll, and extra dexterity next turn, and Dodge and Roll's dexterity is basically counting, or its whole block is counting twice, because you're getting it this turn, and it's going to carry over to next turn, where it will stack with the delayed block that you're going to get from it that turn. And it's, so you can just put off, like, crazy things like that, where those there's only three cards and that can just be like part of your strategy and then the other half can be like poison or it can be shivs um and then just today i had a really weird setup where like like i say that starts you on really good footing with a small efficient deck of things that combo well and i got right very early on in one of the very few circumstances where you can't choose whether to pick up a relic or not and there's an event where it's like reach for a relic and you get hurt a bit and you, there's a certain chance. And as you keep going, you get hurt more and more and the chance increases. And I kept doing that. And then I got Dead Branch, which is apparently one of the best relics in the game. Because every time you exhaust a card, it gives you a random card. Hmm. Not one from your deck, just a random card for your class. Um, and for like certain warrior builds, that's amazing. Um, but for my build, I had some shivs. And I'd never thought about this before, but shivs technically exhaust. Shivs are like you. There's a, a cloak and dagger card, and that gives you some block, and it, and it gives you two shiv cards. And the shiv cards just do a little bit of damage, and they exhaust. And there are loads of ways to like build on those and make all of your shivs do more damage and um, get bonuses for playing lots of attacks in one turn, which you can do because shivs are free to play. But because uh, they exhaust, every time I used a shiv, I was getting an extra card, and it was just fucking random what it was. So it didn't synergize with anything else I had. And so every time I used a shiv, my deck got worse. <laughs> and so I had this weird deck where, like, it starts amazing and then just gets shittier and shittier the more I play it. <laughs> and that's just a weird consequence of, like, those two things interacting. I've never had that combination before. And so, yeah, that's that's kind of changed the game for me. Like, that is making Slayers by way more interesting. It's, I'm just getting to all these strange combos I've never had. Cool. And then uh, earlier tonight, I played Just Cause 4. Oh, Because wow. that's out now. Um, so I've only played like a couple of hours of it. Um, it's weird. I bought it on PC, and then after eight minutes with it, I refunded it on PC because I had so many technical issues. Lovely. Like the UI was displaying at a different resolution to the rest of the game, and it was like, it was as if it was like 640 by 480, and uh didn't run very well, and then it hard-locked my PC. I just had to turn the whole thing off. And I realized, like, this is more issues than I'm willing to solve. <laughs> I'll just get it on PlayStation instead. So I'm playing it on PlayStation now. And it, it also, on both platforms, it's kind of ugly. Like, it's they've done something weird with post-processing where it's, it manages to be, like, grainy and flickery. So, like, distant stuff. I think my best guess is they, they had some issues with, like, where distant things would kind of have bad aliasing you know where like it's only one pixel big and so from certain angles it disappears and certain angles it's there and so they to 
mask that. They added some kind of film grain type thing, which is noise, just like visual noise on the, the image, but only on distant things. And <laughs> hmm. that just looks bad. Hmm. <laughs> and it does flicker all the time. Like things are jumping in and out of existence all the time. And that's on PS4 and PC. So it's, it's a choice they've made. It's not like a bug. Um, but other than that, it's, it's just cause it's, uh, um, uh, grappling around and wingsuiting around, which is still great, blowing up big red canisters, <laughs> which is still great. Um, and the new thing this time is balloons. They, <laughs> they made a big deal of extreme weather as the new feature in this, which was utterly unexciting to me, and I haven't encountered any of it yet. Um, but the balloons I have encountered, and this is, uh, you like, <laughs> You can fire your grapple at something to like pull yourself towards it, or you can hold it down and tether it to something else. And now, when you tether it, you can optionally add a balloon to it. <laughs> I've got it. Just caused for <laughs> balloons. They they have gone deep on the balloons. Like <laughs> the balloon system is the most involved and advanced thing that I've, uh, I've seen in the game. Um, because the problem with balloons, right, is that you don't necessarily want to put a balloon on everything. <laughs> <laughs> that is the problem with balloons. <laughs> it's not uni- Ask any clown. <laughs> it's not universally true that when you want to grapple something, you want to put a balloon on it. <laughs> That's the opening of your Pride and Prejudice. But-, <laughs> <laughs> but they also, I think, didn't want to add an extra button, like a balloon button. So it has to be the tether, but you don't always want the tether to do this. So instead, you have multiple tether configurations, and you can switch between those with the D-pad. And when you get the balloon ability, the first thing you do is like set up a separate configuration for your your tether. Where with this configuration, every time you create a tether, the thing that you're the last thing you attach it to gets a balloon. Um, <laughs> and, and you get a balloon. Tom, please explain why you want balloons. <laughs> this is okay. Balloons lift things. Uh, that's it. <laughs> anyway, moving to <laughs> <laughs> it's not really like there's even an early mission where you have to you specifically your goal is to lift some things and the- <laughs> rodriguez whatever his name is we need that you to, his name. To, to, to levitate some pallets well the, the, the dumb thing about that mission is that's before you get the balloons you use the tether to do that you just chain it to the ceiling and it pulls it oh, up <laughs> and then after that they introduce the balloons <laughs> we, 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 couldn't there be a better way to lift things um but you can fucking, the way you can configure these balloons is insane. I haven't unlocked all this stuff yet, but so right away you get tether loadouts and the balloons are just one of three different upgrade slots. I don't know what the other ones do yet because I haven't unlocked them. But so for every tether loadout, you decide whether you want it to balloon or not balloon. If you do want it to balloon, do you want it to medium balloon, high balloon or low balloon? <laughs> and that, that I think is the strength of the force with it lifts, not the altitude it goes to because you can then pay to unlock, uh, like they have some kind of upgrade resource, and you can spend that on unlocking not necessarily upgrades to the balloon, but further configuration options. One of which is what altitude you want it to kind of settle at. And so you can like pay to unlock, I want high altitude or I want low altitude. And then at any time you can change the configurations of that. They have, they've started, I know that you have not accepted this premise, but they've started from the premise that balloons are the most useful thing you could have in this universe because they have gone so deep on how you so can they're, configure they're, balloons. So their narrative design is going, I've been asked for to design a hundred missions that have to justify why he's Attaching balloons to things at different altitudes. Do you want your balloons to uh, explode when burst or simply pop? Because they can they can be like full of explosive gas and then and therefore do damage when they blow up. Do you want them to be 
vulnerable to all kinds of damage, or do you want to be immune to your damage, but not other people's? Or would you like them to be immune to enemy damage, but not your damage? Or would you like them to be invulnerable? You can make them invulnerable if you like. <laughs> this is all being done on the D-pad while you're kind of sailing through the <laughs> This is, this is a, a kind of involved configuration menu that is, um, I'm looking forward to exploring. Would you like your balloons to simply lift vertically? Or would you like them to cause the things they're suspending to follow you? Or would you like them to follow where you're looking? <laughs> wow. And so my, like the last, uh, like hour I spent with the game was, uh, fixing balloons to various like big gas canisters that i wanted to destroy and i'd set them the first upgrade i got obviously was the hey make the balloons go where i'm looking because <laughs> i don't know why i want that but that sounds interesting <laughs> um and so doing that but it says where you're aiming specifically and there's like the usual kind of iron sights type thing you, you hold down left trigger and you you zoom in and so i was aiming where i wanted them to go but because it zooms in so much you can't see them anymore because they're like your field of view goes so much narrower so everything and they're high up so whatever you're doing they're always going to be out of shot and so it was just like me attaching like 10 balloons to a thing and then looking really intently at like a tree <laughs> and then, like needing i needed like someone else in the world to say yeah, are they moving are they doing it you don't doing dare it? look you reset <laughs> if i look yeah, exactly they, they're not well now they're not going there because i'm not looking there anymore were they going there can you you there rebellion member can you tell me <laughs> Are the balloons going to the tree I'm looking at? That's all I care about. <laughs> but Rodriguez, why? <laughs> you have a gun. <laughs> Couldn't you just shoot the oppressors? There's no way to drop things on something else. <laughs> so that's been fascinating. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's like it's like Magic Grapple Man finally gets a hobby. Like, <laughs> I'm real into balloons, it turns out. <laughs> you can like it is amazing like they're super powerful so you can like you know a massive like radar dish that um that's part of a base you can just attach 10 balloons to that and then when you activate them it rips it off its base and then you can it's drifting around the base and then you decide when to pop the balloons obviously so you can try and like get it when it's over something i guess i haven't successfully done that yet but in theory that tree is gonna fucking die We're going to drop a satellite dish on a tree. I dropped a giant gas orb into the sea. I don't know if that's a thing that I was supposed to be doing. So, like, one of those huge, like, uh, like building-tall uh, metal spheres that contains gas, and you, it's very easy to rip it off its base, but it's quite hard to destroy it because it's just, like, heavily armoured, I guess. So I just kind of used tethers to kind of pull it into the sea. Balloons did not lift it. They might have made it, like, easier to move, but they didn't make it float because uh, that would require a, a better kind of balloon, I guess. Uh, I, For some reason, I expected the sea to blow up the gas cylinder. It didn't. <laughs> and when it didn't happen, I was like, well, yeah, of course. <laughs> it's water. Why would it blow it up? But the video game logic has taught me that water does damage yeah. and that that would work. Um, I've done a few missions because uh, it's definitely one of those games where like, there's a shitload of stuff that's locked off to me, so I'm going to do the critical path, I guess, until... Um, I unlock some things and they are so far they haven't been horrible like Just Cause has always struggled with missions because when you restrict this kind of these kind of mechanics they become really annoying and also like every mission 
has some kind of NPC who mustn't die, and the whole game is about recklessly blowing things. And like, you fucking attach a tether to a gas cylinder, that is going to pull it off its hinges, it's going to rupture in various places, it's going to shoot flame in multiple directions, then when it falls, one of those jets of flame will be its propulsion method, and it will fire it in a random direction. And you're encouraged to do this while you're protecting NPCs. So it's like, <laughs> I can't tell you where that's going to go, I don't know when it's going to blow up, it's just, there's going to be some damage somewhere in this area, it may well kill those people, I can't really change that. It's like the, the Rico Rodriguez solves a hostage situation moment where he's staring at someone for a long time as a tanker drifts gently <laughs> so bad. Blocks out the sun and the shadow. Just... Actually, you joke, but that is how I've been telling whether something's moving is looking at the shadow. Like, I can't see the thing itself, but I do see the balloon shadow. That's a balloon of some kind. Is it moving my way? I can't really tell because I don't know where the sun is, but it's coming. Um, but yeah, I just had a mission to like steal a plane and then land it on an airstrip. It's strangely keen on getting to do things very carefully and safely. <laughs> so I had to very slowly and safely land a, a plane and not only land it, but like, um, taxi across the airport to the correct hangar <laughs> to complete the next bit of the mission. And then, I don't know, did some hacking stuff. I don't really follow it. Um, and then it's like, get to the extraction zone with your, your NPC friend, uh, Mira. And you're given the choice of like, she just wants, you need some kind of vehicle. So it's just like get a vehicle and bring it over and whatever you bring, she'll get in. Um, and let's get to the extraction zone. And after a while of driving, like you're in an airport and the, the GPS thing, you know, it does, does these arrows on the road and tells you which way to go is like wild. It's pointing the opposite direction because it thinks you should only drive on the runways and not the grass between the runways. So I'm like, fuck you. I'm going direct as the crow flies. And then that was the correct call within the airport. But as soon as we left the airport, I start to realize I'm in very mountainous territory now and it looks like the place I'm going is actually not on this island at all. <laughs> and there's like a bridge between the islands, but the bridge does not start anywhere near where I am. It's like way inland and we're being chased by helicopters <laughs> and multiple enemy vehicles. And uh, it gets increasingly comical for me to try and drive up this extremely rocky, extremely mountainous hill with, with just causes wild physics where you flip at the slightest bump and... Uh, it's kind of biased so that it never entirely goes on its back. It always kind of writes itself, but uh, we're in serious danger of falling off the cliff or blowing ourselves up. And I get close to the road, but there's just no way we're getting over these last few bumps whilst being chased by helicopters. Oh. So I, I get out. Balloons. <laughs> no, there's no time for balloons in this situation. <laughs> I can't. I can't there's be no support. time for balloons. There's one time you had I can't balloons be staring at the road silly. and waiting for a fucking levitated car to <laughs> drift over whilst being shot by a helicopter. I haven't got the upgrade that makes them immune to enemy damage, so the enemies would <laughs> simply destroy them. Uh, so I have to go and get a different vehicle and bring it to her because our vehicle is fucked, and it's like I just need to get over this tiny little ridge. Uh, but every vehicle I steal when I get there. There's the helicopter's doing like an area effect damage thing where it gives you like a, a big warning sign on the ground where it's going to hit. And the duration between that and it actually hitting is roughly the same as the duration that it takes Mira to realize that I've brought a new vehicle, get out of her vehicle and walk to my vehicle. <laughs> and I have to be stationary for that because if I move, she stops registering it as the thing that she needs to get in. So, <laughs> which is being destroyed again and again by the tech. I, like I bring the vehicle over that the red marker would appear on it she would run over to it i'm just sitting there helpless like well i've got to wait because otherwise we don't get anywhere it would attack and then it wouldn't destroy the vehicle it wouldn't kill her but the vehicle would be on fire and as soon as she sees it on fire she turns around and goes back to the other vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> like, well i guess this one's scotch too i'll go and get a new one what, what kind of language are you using were you kind of like resigned to it or <laughs> it was i think it was as entertaining as it was frustrating <laughs> like it, it was. have you considered attaching a balloon to mirror 
Uh, oh. I don't know if that works. <laughs> they just stare at that distant objective. <laughs> <laughs> Delivered safely. I should try it, actually. That's worth trying. Because <laughs> I failed the mission, so I've still got to do it. Four hours of very slow drifting and look <laughs> intent and peering. Yeah, and just stay on my island to just look at the other island. <laughs> Eventually, you'll make it. Unfortunately, he's only got a thousand yards stare. <laughs> a couple of miles away. You can upgrade that range. Yeah. <laughs> That sounds dumb. Yep. It's a, <laughs> it's a silly game. Good. I mean, I, you said you were enjoying it. Did you? Yes. <laughs> that was the implication, I think. Right. Uh, yeah, I guess, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, I'm sure missions, missions usually do get frustrating in Just Cause and I, I expect they will, but they haven't done yet. And hopefully, I just hope that, that, that they unlock whatever goes in the other two upgrade slots for your grappling hooks uh, Jesus, before yeah. that happens. And maybe some of those... Actually, I think all of the balloon upgrades I can just get now, like, if I do enough, I don't know, missions to inspire the military. <laughs> that <laughs> gets balloon me balloon tricks. upgrades, yeah. <laughs> uh, good. Shall we do some questions? Yes. Yes. All right. All right, you've asked nicely. No, I asked nicely. You nicely. Shut up, Alex. <laughs> First question comes from Chris, but not me, a different one, who writes, Dear, insert mumbling noises here. I mean, long ago, you discussed Where's an Egg? The game about deduction and also murdering liars. I have since played it exactly once, gunning down the second person I spoke to and receiving the maximum medals, fireworks and Sputnik flyover good ending. My total playtime was somewhere around six seconds, but they were such excellent seconds I feel no need to go back. Has this ever happened to you? <laughs> What's the fastest you've ever been done with a game, but in a positive way? Keep concealing those eggs, Chris. P.S. <laughs> Toriel from Undertale would give the best hugs. Um, I like this as possibly the best use of has this ever happened to you? <laughs> <laughs> in a great incredible question submission, and there's been a lot of them. <laughs> um, but this enters as simply have you ever finished the egg game in six seconds Alex <laughs> nope so, no like wait but yeah. like, cool. I want to explain what the egg game is yeah. <laughs> for anyone who's unindoctrinated I think where's, where's an, an egg? egg covers it well <laughs> I feel like that, that could be like a hidden object game <laughs> yeah uh, and in a sense it is but <laughs> it's a um, procedural detective game uh, where somebody does have the egg and you can ask other people whether who has the egg, but some of them might be lying, and it's randomly generated who has the egg. And so, yes, it is possible to solve it in six seconds if you get lucky with a guess. I would suggest that this questioner did not rigorously sort through the evidence and come to a conclusive uh, suspect, uh, and perhaps due process was, was skipped over a little bit. Do you have but the egg? If you're yes, right, I've got the you're egg. right. <laughs> That's where that egg is. Dosh. Dosh. Was it Chris? <laughs> yes. You're loose cannon, Chris, but you get results. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of a gaming version of this, but it does remind me of um, a fireworks display that went terribly right uh, and also wrong at the same time, where they, it was a vast fireworks display. I can't remember where it was. Uh, and it's been meticulously lined up to, you know, respond to music, except something went terribly wrong when it was triggered, and all the fireworks happened at the same time. <laughs> it, it just launched fucking all of them, uh, and it's just like a, a nuclear explosion in the sky. And they, Six seconds of utter delight. They, they interviewed people afterwards and said, asked if they were disappointed, and they are like, no, pretty I'm great. I'm really proud of all of us for dodging the obvious joke here. 
Oh, come on. <laughs> okay, wow, well, apparently. Fine. The readers will know. Um, let's, uh, that's... <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, no, I don't think this has happened to me. One in five, but I mean, there's, um, there's the only games that where I've been done really quickly, uh, but pleased with them were not game. Like I'm thinking of like 30 fights of loving is like 15 minutes long. Yeah, and right. I think I only played it once. I might have played it twice, maybe, but even then that would be half an hour. <laughs> I was thinking, and, yeah, I was thinking ridiculous. I loved it. Yeah, exactly. I was thinking ridiculous fishing or like those kind of incremental games where there's no need to go back because it's this more or less the same kind of progression through, but it's a, just sort of very kind of rewarding kind of mm. half an hour like while you're in it. Yeah. I think what we're talking about is that sort of like exuberant, oh, I don't need to do this ever again. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Nailed it kind of feeling. And I'm not sure. There's nothing really springs to mind. I'm sure there's been like multiplayer games where I've like done quite well in the first match ever and like well that's that then <laughs> beat that i did win my first ever game of slay the spire and it would have been kind of cool to just resign at that point <laughs> yeah well mastered this 100% game 100 percent win record yeah no it's just it's always a very brief disappointment rather than a brief triumph <laughs> isn't that life so yeah mm. yeah but this, it, this is the thing man big valve and they're the the fact they won't let you touch a little bum <laughs> um, <laughs> they're there saying you, you don't want you to have too much fun in the first two hours because otherwise you'll refund it because you'll have had all the fun mm. that's the problem that's where the egg's problem right there you have all your fun straight away they show it, you I Sputnik think it's a fun game. <laughs> you're allowed to look at Sputnik but it's going to refund that shit straight away aren't you I don't think Alex would stop <laughs> touching seen the Sputnik I think late. it would be at least 90 minutes of that and no refunds let alone if you figure out that you're just allowed to type Sputnik into Google image search you can see all the Sputnik you like which our teens that <laughs> I don't know what I'm fucking talking about I don't know <laughs> are these artifacts artifacts I don't, I, that, I'm not sure I'm not familiar that's with a where's that. an egg joke that is a where's an egg joke <laughs> it's, 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 it's referenced in the question well, when yeah. you find the egg there's the big celebration and I guess Sputnik is involved I don't remember this but apparently Sputnik is involved <laughs> oh right you really did just think I was having some kind of meltdown <laughs> <laughs> did you notice how polite I was about it uh, it's, it's, well, it's exactly how you always look at me Alex there's no difference it's a confusion hmm. <laughs> it's just like oh I'm sure you know what you're doing <laughs> and I did <laughs> thanks <laughs> Well, we found out where the egg is here, haven't we? You're the egg. <laughs> You're the egg. egg Let's is. not fall out. Let's not fall out. James has a question. James writes, Dear Clinks and Clockwork, what percentage of Chris's enthusiasm for Artifact is rooted in adding a whole tunnel of lore to a fantasy universe into which he's already invested? And what percentage is a result of the cards exiting warp in the launch trailer? Cheerio, James. Um, Kind of none of that, really. Like, Jen... Genuinely. Hmm? Did you read the comic? I did. Was it good? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've done our duty here. <laughs> it's a very good uh, Axe comic, actually, separately. Dose 2's Axe comic is, is yeah, good, yeah. yeah. A lot of the Dose 2 comics are good. It's because yeah. Valve's secretly good at making comics. I didn't understand this comic at all, though, I must say. The new one? Yeah. Yeah, it's one. mad. The, the, the backstory to what Artifact is, from a lore point of view, is kind of great, but kind of mm. nonsense at the same time. Are they I suggesting that, that characters in the Dota universe are playing Artifact? Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's changing fate or something? Yeah, because, so the notion is that every game of Dota that's ever been played actually happened. 
Um, so it's all canon. It's all canon, <laughs> including different people being on different sides, etc. Well, even when I played, got that one against really the bad. bots. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah sure. exactly. Yeah, and oh, the idea no. being ruined like, Dota's canon. Yeah, I feel really responsible now. When one of the ancients explodes at the end of a game of Dota, because that's how all games of Dota end, um, time resets, and all of history happens again up to that point. And so Dota is always the end of time, but who's standing where and what they're doing is based on countless tiny variables stretching back through history and artifact is a game wizards play in order to rearrange the elements of reality <laughs> basically which is well the kind, the kind of nonsense i'm into so <laughs> like i dig it but it is nonsense but it's fun i think hmm. and um fun sense fun sense <laughs> is my the only kind of sense I know. <laughs> Gold, Funsense, and Myrrh. <laughs> we can tell which of the three kings was a venture capitalist. <laughs> uh, that's the thing. That's what you come to the Crate and Crowbar for. <laughs> Just <laughs> fucking tip-top startup ideas. <laughs> um, yeah, but um, no, also. Um, <laughs> what was the no? <laughs> um, <laughs> as in, I like Artifact a lot, but it actually it's got nothing to do with really the law or the... I mean, those things are nice, but... Where again, is the law located in the game, or is it in just the cards. in the comics? Bottom the left. Comic. Each card has about... <laughs> Each card has like a paragraph of text that's fully voiced. Really? Yep. Where mm. do you access that? And the card collection page. Oh, oh I didn't want to go on there. Don't want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so oh, yes. Let me. I can just imagine like, there's like probably like thousands and thousands of words and hours of voice acting in that game. And you're just like physically pouring at the screen. <laughs> <laughs> Try to touch the button. But he won't go to the law screen. It's like someone's someone's <laughs> written and, and and voiced actually funny writing. But no. <laughs> ben Brode taught me that I could touch this. <laughs> and I will. <laughs> when you have the law coming out of the imp bomb, I'll listen to it. Before then, it's dead to me. <laughs> if I told you, like... Some fucking my uncle works at Nintendo story. Like, well, actually, if you're losing in the lane, then you can't touch the imp bomb. But if, you're winning in, if you have lethal damage in the lane on the enemy tower, and then you right click the imp bomb to get the backstory, you'd have fucking believed me. I bet you would. I would back in there, out of a drain pipe. Oh, we have fun, don't we? Uh, we do. Um, good. Uh. Uh, next question comes from Aiden, who writes, Hi. <clears throat> Sorry, he didn't cough, I did. Tom and Alex were discussing XB boosts in the last episode, and I wondered whether you'd heard Blizzard talk about how they came to the idea of rest in World of Warcraft. Early on in development, one of the designers thought that they should discourage players from spending too long playing the game. So they added a... <laughs> They had a little ding uh, that happens when you level up. No, um, discouraged players were spending too long playing the game, so they added a modifier that reduced XP gain as you played. People did not like this. The designers went back to the drawing board and decided to instead double the XP you received for the first few hours, 
and also double the required XP to level up. The bright sparks listening will realize that this is exactly the same as the previous system, but phrased positively. People loved it, and the rest, sorry, is history. <laughs> I could tack a question on here, but we all know it would be an afterthought. <laughs> Love the pod, Aiden. Uh, that's a good, uh, a good wow story. Fact. Good wow fact. Yep. It's got a bit of wow. Wow. To- wow. Fact. <laughs> uh, I have a sort of a related example um, from Heatsig where I kind of use the opposite logic because when we had missions where uh, we wanted you to like try and not kill anyone or try and not be seen. We would originally give you a bonus for that. So it's like the pay is a hundred. Oh, sorry, the pay is fifty, and we give you a fifty bonus if you're if you're also not seen. And people didn't really bother with it, and it kind of felt like it was the same as a mission where you weren't being rewarded for that, and but with an optional extra bonus. It was kind of a minor difference. And so I changed it so that the pay is a hundred, and you lose fifty if you get spotted. And suddenly you care about it and it makes way much bigger difference and people actually try and go for it. So by making it, I intentionally made it a thing that where it feels very negative and very unpleasant because I wanted to push people to, to pay attention to it and take it seriously. Mm. <coughs> it's a good story. Good yeah. design moment. Mm. And it is, yeah, framing things positively. That's how you get people to do things. What's like a system? <laughs> like if, the way you frame things or kind of the semantics around a system are the, almost more important to the player than the actual kind of maths yeah. of it mm. which is fascinating yeah is that, you, that, you're dealing with psychology there rather than the actual numbers right yeah and that's i don't think uh, that i think is is genuinely the root of my issue with like a lot of our decision making about artifact mm. like i think the system is on paper fairer but they just didn't pay attention at all to what people's feeling is mm. about what's mm. being asked of them really like, mm. got anything about feelings faceless obelisk <laughs> <laughs> No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Val's here with us now. <laughs> Throw a bone into space. <laughs> Do it. Go on. <laughs> I wasn't paying attention to that movie. <laughs> That's pretty much it. It's that fine, yeah. It. You don't need to follow it. <laughs> uh, Obelisk, bone, AI, baby, space baby, and... Finn. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Fuck, I want to tell a story. It's completely fucking irrelevant. Has anyone seen the Jason Satham vehicle, The Meg? Yes, I have. Not yet. yet. Right. Did, what did you think? It was terrible. It was terrible, yeah. <laughs> it vastly under-delivers on its promises for Big Shark. I had to see it in Exeter. Like- <laughs> <laughs> That's the worst of it. <laughs> yeah. But So there's a lot of things that are wrong with that film. There's a lot of things that are wrong with that film. <laughs> It under-delivers on Big Shark action, which is its only job. Yeah, um, It also is really clear that it kind of just wants Jason Statham to be The Rock, and Jason Statham is not The Rock. There's many charming qualities to Jason Statham, but he's not The Rock. He did fight much. The Rock in the Fast and Furious movies. He did. <laughs> but he's not The Rock. Yeah, point taken. And um, <laughs> that wouldn't be possible if he was The Rock. <laughs> and... Um, and it would have been better with The Rock, but he's not in it. So that's the thing. Um, but the thing it does, it really fucking pissed me off. And I just watched it on a plane. And I was so angry, like I wanted to leave. But I was on the <laughs> But I was on the plane. Is, is they, they fucking, I think I have a particular hatred for jokes that were obviously funny to the writers at the time. And this is the vicarious hatred that you reserve for a family member. Because it's something you, res- you, you relate to profoundly. But that makes it somehow less forgivable. Like, it's, it's like, oh god, you assholes, you went for it. The movie ends. You know, whatever shark problem momentarily dealt with, etc. Mm. And the credits roll, and then it ends on 
in in old timey cursive font, Finn. <laughs> and it's like you fucking assholes. <laughs> Nothing else in that movie is that tone, right? Yeah, that's that, some sort of levity that yeah, none of it. Like it's just clodding. Like there's none of that. Film. It's not a silly film, really. Like well, it is silly, but it's not trying to be like that. And, and it's like that is a cutting room floor kind of gag. <laughs> that's a four p.m. on a Friday, and we're writing the credits kind of joke. You cut that stuff yeah. when sanity returns to you on Monday morning, and it didn't. And it made me angry. And I'm sorry, this is irrelevant to the topic of this PC Games podcast, but <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to get it off my chest. <laughs> um, it's not a good film. Everyone. You probably are the only person who's seen that, though. Because I, like, I don't think yeah, the end people credits. have gone through yeah, yeah. What if there's an after credit scene? I was waiting just... for the after credits. I wanted to see if there's an after credit scene <laughs> in the mech. Maybe oh, Nick Fury shows up. Well, the, I'm back. I thought, you know, there's a, they tease a big old squid at the start of the film. And I was like, mm. I want to see the big squid now. Just show me the one scene where, like, oh, we dealt with the big shark. And then it's like, well, oh, no, shit, it's a fucking tentacle. Now. Yeah, exactly. This goes to show. <laughs> <laughs> So I imagine Jason Statham saying that. <laughs> <laughs> Shrugging at the camera. Uh, it's an unbelievable film, and that's um, that's saying something about a movie where it's uh, just about Jason Statham um, riding a little submarine chase. It's 30 quid it cost us. Yeah. <laughs> Exeter. <laughs> Alex is still mad about Exeter. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, it, it basically feels like the Subnautica movie, but bad. It has all the vehicles from Subnautica in it. I would like Subnautica in a movie, but good. Yeah. If anyone's interested in making that. And if they do that, they're allowed to end it with Finn. But only if <laughs> yeah. they... Um, yeah. You have to earn a Finn. You really have to earn mm. a Finn. Mm. You you know, you, you have to literally be a French film. <laughs> <laughs> or you have to pull off that... You have to earn that shark gag. We should set up some sort of, like, board with like, the Finn board where you have to you have to kind of apply... So I think I think that should be true of any 5pm on a Friday joke. I think there should be a panel of other people in the same situation who are like, nah, leave this. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like, no, 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 no. Yeah. Or if it is allowed, you that, get That's license. called editing, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, speaking of unedited 5pm <laughs> sort of garbage, uh, let's continue this podcast. Uh, next question is from uh, David, who writes... I enjoyed your answer to Bullock's question about the ethics of actions that we take in video games from episode 261. To build off this earlier discussion, I'd like to know why you think so many games struggle to move past violent verbs. Why is violence so popular? I know Tom F has already partially addressed this in episode two of his Game Maker series, Shooting, Therefore Video Games. <laughs> but I'd definitely like to hear more. I'm currently enjoying spatting goblins and the like and unexplored, so I'm not trying to claim any sort of moral high ground. But I think it's an important issue for games to address. As a follow-up question, what verbs do you think are underrepresented in games? Thank you, by the way, for giving me an idea for a game that I might actually see to completion. My own ideas tend to spiral out of control into levels of complexity that I'm not prepared for. But the Tom S slash Chris slash Tom F improv game concept idea, you are a tree, oh no, no, you must sprant, has given me transprant, a game where you've already died at the beginning of the game, and a tree has grown out of your character's corpse, and you, now as the tree, must seed your consciousness into the bo bodies of creatures that come nearby, so you can try to run them back to your family and uh, communicate what has happened to you. <laughs> Take care, David. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> but if you're the animal, how do you communicate what happened? <laughs> the time-honored lassie method. <laughs> I, I died and there's a tree 
through me, but in dog language. We all know that seeds contain knowledge. <laughs> Do we? <laughs> seeds of knowledge, that's a phrase, so it must be. <laughs> Therefore. But you put the seed in the dog, and then the dog, but the dog then contains you. Does the seed, does the dog sick up the seed? I, <laughs> I don't think it comes out that It's your dad. <laughs> <laughs> It's a tiny homunculus. Circle of life. <laughs> is This is tangential, I guess, but is a fruit the only thing that wants to be eaten? <laughs> uh, with, unfortunately, oh. with the lamentable changes made to Tumblr, yes. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> do you mean like... Uh, uh, well, so if you look like uh, a lettuce leaf, the lettuce doesn't get anything out of it. <laughs> lettuce is fucking like Jesus. Why do you do that? That was part of me. Uh, the, the lettuce doesn't like reproduce through that, but uh, anything with a seed is trying to get you to eat the seed, and the fruit is there to make you eat the seed. Like the fruit wants to be eaten; it wants you to eat the, the fruit so that you, you can take the seed elsewhere and, yourself, and share it out. It's an interesting. I mean, but like animals don't want to get eaten. And what about nuts? Don't want I don't think a nut is a seed, right? But by eating it, you kind of crunch it to bits and it doesn't get to reproduce, I don't think. (laughs) I hope they don't. (laughs) Um, I mean, so you're defining want here as is the purpose of, right? Yeah. (laughs) It's a a fuzzy definition. Um, And we should certainly get into this. (laughs) (laughs) Certainly. There's no reason not to. It's a good question. (laughs) I mean... Yeah, I think so. Like, I mean, well, <laughs> yeah. partly isn't that the definition of a fruit is it contains seeds. So therefore, and seeds are distributed yeah. by being pooped. So there's not really anything else that's like, you know, it is. But it's also there are a, a fruitarian. Is that someone who literally only eats fruit or do they eat fruit and I vegetables? I think they only eat fruit. So is that their logic? Like, maybe. Well, fruit's here to be eaten. Yeah, that could, yeah, there's, there's, there is logic there. What's that sinister fruit that? The flesh grows around dead wasps, or wasps crawling. Into- oh man! Oh figs, figs. Yeah, <laughs> there's really good sinister, wasps. The sinister fig. The, the, the figs are sinister. There's a uh, this uh, game idea reminded me of a new story recently where a man's dead body was was discovered thanks to a fig tree growing out through. Oh my god! I heard this. Yeah, this yeah. is cool. Uh, and, and it's full of wasps. And yeah, full of fucking bees. <laughs> oh no. Uh, no, that it was, this fig tree was just completely out of place in this landscape and it's grown out of this rock and so they followed it down and they found the remains. They were that suspicious of the fig tree. They were well, like, it was just really, what the fuck is this fig tree really doing here? I am digging this up right now. <laughs> this fig tree none of this. Guy. <laughs> there should not be a fig tree here. <laughs> we're not a busy police department. <laughs> <laughs> This is the most suspicious thing that's yeah. happened here. Bath police police department on the very slow day went into the moors. Ever since Marsh stopped chopping people's feet off and... <laughs> know, they've been so bored. Uh, but they, they traced it back to the remains of uh, a man. It turns out he'd eaten a fig and the seed had gone into his belly. And wow. He'd been um, killed down there. Uh, but the, the fig had fed off his body and turned into a tree in stretch full sunlight and he was discovered. Figs are hedging their bets, aren't they? There's like a million <laughs> seeds in those things. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that's like no chances. <laughs> and it paid off in this case. It's a success story for the fig. <laughs> Hero fig. <laughs> Solves crime. <laughs> but that fig, that fig was a tree, oh no, no, and it, I mean, it might Must sprout. sprout. It sprouts. It sprouts. <laughs> oh, masterful. There we go. Oh, God. The question was about which verbs are underused in games and mm. why violent verbs are overused. Not enough spranting. Um, I was reflecting recently, like, about how good Subnautica is, and 
Uh, for some reason in my head, I had, I had filed it as a non-violent game, and then I remembered it like, no, actually. It's a lot of knifing fish. Totally stabs some fish in it. But it, it's interesting because, like, it isn't really a combat game, and I remember them, they specifically took a stance on, like, there are no guns in this game intentionally. There are um, torpedoes. Right. <laughs> are they like the guns of the sea? Torpedoes. Are they like explosive torpedoes? Like yeah, buildings? I think so. Explosive. I thought it was all like sort of EMP things. That, like, it, yeah, it's kind of like shock, shock guns, shock torpedoes, and things. But it did occur to me like there's there is violence in both directions. There's you stabbing fish, and there's fish eating you. But there isn't a lot of like. I feel like at least when I played, uh, each individual case was like either they're going to kill me or I'm going to kill them. There's not like combat is like ooh, you could go yeah, either way there's not like there's no point where you have to like fucking like wrestle a, a manatee or something you're like just die <laughs> and it's really like evenly matched yeah. you see the kind of brutality of real violence between and you don't really that. presumably you don't really go out looking to kill stuff you're just doing yeah it's it usually, by, usually by necessity. there's no upside to it except for those very small fish where you're just doing it for food and there's just the only ones where I felt like I ever had like a fight against them was the there's those scavenger ones to pick up the the metal um mm. Those are, they're not scary enough that you can't take them on, and they're almost annoying enough that it's worth sometimes fighting them off, but, um, they are, and they're not prey, you don't get food from them as far as I remember. Um, but other than that, like everything else was just like, I don't want to tangle that at all because it's worse than me, <laughs> or it's tiny and it's food, so I do want to stab it. Yeah, and I think also because creatures run, you know, if you, you know, if you spook them, mm. you solved the problem of the creature without actually murdering it which is yeah yeah what a good game that is yeah and it, i feel like i don't have any problems with the violence and that like it, i play mostly violent games and it's always in the back of my mind that like you know this isn't good <laughs> right. Re- really we, we shouldn't be fantasizing about this relentlessly uh and it would be nice if there were more games outside of that i mean the, the question of like why there aren't is there are they just aren't as popular yeah. because people don't like them as much because people like violence um and that's it's it, there's an ele- there's definitely like more work to be done on the development side of like we can make more interesting games about these things um but i think like at least 50% of the problem is that is that people don't want those things mm. <laughs> like people want to kill things and and enjoy violence uh, more than perhaps they should um but yeah well, there's there's shitloads of yeah. games people want to like triumph over conflict right yeah, like, yeah that's the thing is there, is there a clearer win state than winning a fight like just clearly and quickly like I don't, you know, there's little to be explained about two people who try to shoot each other and all wins. Yeah, because there's, yeah, there's, there's challenge games and non-challenge games, and there's violent games and non-violent games, and there's a very, very big overlap between challenge and violence. Like, mm. if you're going to make a challenge-based game, it's way easier to make it about violence because we have loads of good mechanics for that. And uh, again, you totally can make non-violent challenge games, and people do, and some of them are huge. Um, like, you know, Tetris is a non-violent challenge game. Um, but they they don't scratch the same itch. And if you're not trying to make a challenge game, then it's really easy to make it non-violent. You know, probably most non-challenge based games are non-violent. Um, most walking simulators are non-challenge and non-violent. Um, nope, that's the end of my sentence. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I had a third thing, but no. In terms of verbs, though, that's interesting. I quite like the verb uh, to deal. And I was playing Imperator Rome last week uh, oh, yeah. for a preview. And I've always felt a bit let down by uh, grand strategy games and diplomacy and doing mm. deals and creating consequences for reneging on deals and for, you know, uh, creating 
balances of trust. One of the only few games that's done it was, done it well is, was Neptune's Pride, which is hmm. obviously between real humans, and that's all about deals and betrayal, and that's just human drama, not really down to the game specifically. Yeah, I loved it in um, uh, Galactic Civilizations 2. Um, I got a huge amount out of that game, and it was largely because of the AI and the the, the races that you are uh, in the galaxy with. They all felt like they're their own personality. And a lot of that came out through the trade system because it was, you know, um, uh, a conversation in which you can offer something and, and ask for something. But what you can offer and ask for is not just like individual ships and individual planets, but, you know, peace treaties and war treaties. Like, I'm going to, if I give you this planet, will you attack this enemy for me? Mm. Um, and all of that is just treated as, as these commodified goods. And they all have some kind of value to the AI that heavily depends on their personality as well as their like rational assessment of what it's worth. And the, one of the reasons it was so good was that you could, you didn't have to actually offer the deal seriously to find out whether they would go for it. You just, you click on things to say, yes, I'll offer this and this and this, and I want this and this and this, and it would go red or green depending on whether they're amenable to that. And I think you even saw the line of dialogue they would say if you offered it. Hmm. You were kind of offering it in a very abstract sense, but you didn't have to go through with it. So you could just try, I would just try like, if I, this, I'm trying to like, I want this one technology from you. You know about this, this one weapons technology and I want it from you. And I'm offering you these three other technologies and a thousand billion credits. And, uh, they're still saying no. And when that happened, I'd be like, what if I gave you every planet in my empire, <laughs> my entire military, <laughs> every technology I know and all of my money? And they're still saying no. <laughs> it's like, yeah. that's a personality thing. That's now just, I know something me. about their character. Like, yeah. that's really interesting. It's like, okay, that they're not just. They're not overvaluing this technology. They just hate me. (laughs) (laughs) And that is all of the questions we've got time for this week. If you'd like to send us a question for a future episode, you could do so by emailing us at questionsandcreatingcrowbar.com or by tweeting us at creatingcrowbar. You can find our website at creatingcrowbar.com, which is also where you'll find a link to our Discord. You can find us on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash creatingcrowbar. And as ever, thanks very much to our Patreon backers. You can find out more about supporting the podcast at patreon.com forward slash Craig and Crowbar. If you would like to follow us individually on the website, twitter.com, you can do so if you must. I am at C Thurston. That's C-T-H-U-R-S-T-E-N. Tom, who just necked a big mouthful of rum, is... Mm, delicious as it was, too. Delicious, delicious Kraken. Anyway, enjoy Twitter, everyone. <laughs> Alex, what's your Twitter handle? We didn't say it. Oh, yeah, I, I don't even use it anymore. Oh, fair enough. PCG Ludo on there. Okay, yeah, you don't have to say it. You, you can look at all I, of I used, old tweets. Or, the only thing I've used Twitter for in the past month is to moan at a, plate, a, a chicken delivery place for, for being rubbish. <laughs> That's what Twitter is to me now. So don't expect, like to subscribe for that kind of content. Don't expect fireworks on there, folks. Not Especially not loads of fireworks all at once. <laughs> Unless I find out that gif and post it <laughs> or you've got to do it yeah I do. <laughs> just pin it to the top of your profile page and leave it at that forever that's, that's a good exit yeah exactly <laughs> Alex I am rotational R-O-T-A-T-I-O-N-A-L my god he's done it again <laughs> Tom uh, I am at Pentadact P-E-N-T-A-D-A-C-T thanks that's for listening everybody oh I forgot something oh no <laughs> We can't undo what we've just done. Thanks no, for no. continuing to listen, everybody. Fake <laughs> ending, everybody. I thought I might use this moment to um, 
set up some expectations for the rest of the the pod year, given this is our first episode mm, in December, and yeah. we've sort of figured out what that is. Well, everyone's turned turned off after the fireworks explosion. Well, they don't the, get the secret reserved. Oh, for... it's, it's just for you people if you're still listening. It's just for you. Um, so, as ever, we are going to be taking a break over Christmas, but the plan is as follows: we will have uh, two more episodes after this one, normal episodes this year. One will be a normal episode, and the other will be our year in review game of the year podcast as we traditionally do once a year and we may even try and film that again we've done that every year for mm-hmm. the last couple of years and that's been nice um uh, we are also going to bring back uh cnc D, as i think we mentioned before and that'll be returning uh around christmas time uh so look forward to that and look forward to the D debut of one mr alex wiltshire mm. I gotta write that. Uh, yeah, so yes, those are our, those are plans over Christmas. If you are wondering, then we'll be gone for a couple of weeks and we'll be back in, uh, January. Uh, miniatures monthly listeners should wait for an announcement when Tom and I figure out when we're going to have an evening free to record that. Indeed. Uh, but yes, and now that I've ruined it by interjecting before the previous one, let's do it again. Thanks for listening, everybody. I think that was actually better.